This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. And, uh... Happy Giving Tuesday, December 1st, Giving Tuesday. It's the day we give Tuesday. I don't know what that means. It's, well, you have Black Friday. Yeah, Black Friday. Then followed by Cyber Monday. And Sacred Sunday. Oh, no, no, no. Cyber Monday. There's the weekend. Then there's Cyber Monday, and then you have Giving Tuesday because everyone kind of feels guilty about the gluttony of the last two days. About $3 billion, apparently, transacted online yesterday. It's amazing. If I were a retailer, I'd... I might get onto the internet thing. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I might I might start focusing on that web thing. I think it's here to stay. It's also eat a red apple day. Hmm. You guys eat an apple a day? Yes, I do. Attaboy. As I drive down the freeway. Do you? I do. Yeah, that's good. That's healthy. I I eat apple slices that are from Costco. Hmm. Because I can't slice my own apple. I also like when I go to McDonald's. They come in their handy little packet? Uh-huh. That's okay. beautiful. Nice. And they don't just give you a little bit. Like McDonald's gives you like two and a half apple slices. Right. Just enough to, you know, cleanse your palate. Costco gives you an entire apple. Uh-huh. Or two, it feels like. Wow. They might be really big apples. So as you're eating your packet of apples, does mm-hmm. it feel like a bit much? Yeah. The very the last couple, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of servings of fruits and vegetables. I think I've had enough apple. <laughs> I am bloated. Uh, eat a red apple day. Happy eat a red apple day. It's also World uh, World AIDS Day. There are an estimated 34 million people who have the virus globally. That's a huge deal. Have HIV. Yeah. The virus was first identified in 1984, and since then more than 35 million people have died of HIV or AIDS. In 2015, the theme for World AIDS Day is the time to act is now. By the way, it's the exact same thing. President Obama is saying about climate change. Got to act on it now. There's a lot we got to do today. We've got to give, eat an apple, act on AIDS today, and climate change. Man alive. And I don't even have half that stuff planned. No. Didn't know half of that stuff till you said it. I hope. Till I found it. Yeah, till you found it, handed it to me, and then (laughs) I said it. But what's interesting is uh, I don't want to stress anybody by having all these extra things they've got to do. But you got a lot to do today. It's also what twenty five days, twenty four days yeah. to Christmas. December first. What a cool day! This and we're into December. Yeah, you're in the final month of twenty fifteen. What does that mean? That's it. You got one month to make up for all your mess, your mess ups, your mistakes. Is that why we give gifts just to make up for the yeah. rest of the year? Here, think, I'm sorry. You know, because the research shows that whatever happens the last few minutes of like a dental visit mm. determines how you remember the visit. And the same thing happens. Whatever happens the last few days of the year determines the whole year. Right. So if you get me something really good for Christmas, I, won't, I will forget everything else bad you did the rest of the year. So does that mean we're not very accountable the rest of the year, only like the last week? Exactly. Okay. That's good to know. Well, it's like when you're a kid, you're told you need to be good so Santa will bring you yeah. gifts. And if you've been a punk all year, mm-hmm. and then you, you, then the, you got to be good these next couple of weeks, and the kids are on their on their best behavior. Yeah. 
You know, it's hard to bring up Santa like in April. Yeah. Santa's not going to like that. It doesn't have the same uh, the same teeth. So we were shopping Uh-oh. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And um, the store we were, we were at brought out Santa Claus early. It was oh, like, wow. like the last couple weeks in November. And here's Santa walking down the aisle for some reason. Terrified my child. Really? He's he, afraid of Santa. He, my wife was on one end of the frozen food aisle. He wandered to the other end because he's playing around. And then he just kind of looks up and there's this tall guy, big beard. Yeah. Just went and he screamed, or sprinted to my mom, his mom, uh-huh. hid behind her leg, and Santa just stood at the front of the aisle, had a, a helper with him, and they just kind of looked at him like trying to be nice. Hey, and my little kids, boy! He is terrified of Santa Claus. <laughs> well, that's that could be handy. Yeah, so we may skip the whole Santa Claus. Oh yeah, with the kid, call him the creeper. You don't want the creeper to come to into our house and sneak down our chimney, do you? It was fun to watch my my child terrified. So, oh, that's oh, that's so sad for your child. Just so laughing. sad. Yeah, I think that's it. Some kids like I was a high sensitive kind of kid, and Santa creeped me out a bit because he's my our Santa had his breath smelled like coffee. Okay, his beard didn't stick to his face, and his little cottony gloves had little white balls on him because he had worn them out so much. He was kind of a dirty Santa. Yeah. Nobody needs a dirty Santa. You know, there is like a an opposite of Santa. What? In Germany? Yeah. What? What? Krampus. He like- Krampus. Ooh, yeah, I love so Krampus. He, he runs around Krampus. with sticks and hits children. Really? There's yeah. a There's a horror movie coming out this week. I think we call- Isn't that Tanya Harding? <laughs> I don't know. Sort of. Krampus? In the same Krampus? sort of theme. How to say his name? Krampus. Krampus. Is it a male or a female? Male. Of course. Jerk. <laughs> so there's a good there's a good Santa, healthy, jubilant, Vinoxman. Okay. Vinoxman? Vinoxman. Or Christmas man. Okay. That's good. And then there's Dirty Clubber dude. Yeah. Yeah, and here we tell kids they're getting coal. In Germany, they send a mass murderer after him You don't want to be clubbed, do you? <laughs> well, and then like two weeks before Christmas, you'll see like 20 or 30 of them around the city, and they they do hit people with their sticks. And everyone's okay with this? Yeah. It's, it's Germany. Man. Like they'll take their kids to it, and it's pretty pretty crazy. Germany. Sheesh. That's scary. You thought you had it bad. Okay, that's scary. Okay, wow. A little update from Germany. Brought to you by Ben, the Ben the the ice cream maker Wasden. Hmm. Here's a deal for you. We got a great guest coming up. This is such a cool, interesting topic. I think Eric, Doctor Eric Hasseltine, will be joining us. He was with the secret uh, the CIA. He was an intelligence officer. <clears throat> He's also a neuroscientist. He's he, he's basically talking to us about. Maybe our response to ISIS is the problem. We probably need to rethink how you respond to them because how we're responding to them is actually creating them and making them stronger. Sticks and stones can break your bones if you're a German anti-Santa. But how you respond to the anti-Santa determines what happens next year. This is a really interesting thing because maybe we're just overreacting and our reactions actually only embolden ISIS or ISIL or Daesh. 
Anyway, we'll be talking to him in just a few minutes. Dr. Eric Hasseltine will be with him in a second. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Jason Van Dyke, the Chicago police officer who was charged with the murder of Laquan McDonald, is out on $1.5 million bond on Monday. He was charged with first-degree murder last week for shooting McDonald 16 times during an October 2014 confrontation. Robert Louis Deere, the man suspected of opening fire at a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado Springs on Friday, killing three, made his first court appearance on Monday afternoon. Deere barely spoke as he appeared before a judge via video with his lawyer. He was denied bond and will receive his official charges on December 9th. Greg Fisk, the newly elected mayor of Juneau, Alaska, was found dead in his home on Monday, according to police. Authorities declined to comment on the cause of death and had yet to determine whether there was any suspicion of circumstances surrounding his death. The 70-year-old was elected mayor last month. Sad. Found dead in his home. Appearing on a conservative radio talk show Monday afternoon, Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz declared that violent criminals are mostly Democrats overwhelming majority of violent criminals are Democrats. The media doesn't report that. What what they report, and there's a reason why the Democrats for years have been viewed as soft on crime, because they go in and they appoint to the bench judges who release violent criminals. He went on to say that the media doesn't report on this because they're biased towards Republicans. They say <laughs> that the, the media is just waiting for these violent acts to happen and they're looking oh please let it be a republican oh it's a democrat uh, oh, blasted never mind and then they move on with that reporting wow. on it. that's that that's something we haven't heard before no it's like really did he say that um in north central oklahoma residents were left shaken monday after at least seven earthquakes hit including one jolt that was felt 300 miles away in iowa scientists say there is a link between the increase in earthquakes in oklahoma and oil and gas activity several earthquakes are rattling areas where injection wells are pumping wastewater into the earth the associated press reports there were just a few dozen quakes magnitude 3.0 or above in 2012 compared to more than 720 so far this year in that area uh, state representative Corey williams according to, uh, says that uh, the oil and gas lobby is powerful in oklahoma keeping policymakers from regulating the industry they passed a law in the state making it so that local municipalities and cities cannot dictate to the oil companies what they can do oh wow when it comes to oil exploration who, who can dictate what I, they can i do. believe the state okay state regulates the locals can't but 720 earthquakes so far Man. this year 3.0 or above it's <laughs> kind of scary we, we don't even know yeah just keep pumping water down <laughs> keep doing it it's great interesting um and we talked briefly before the show started about the uh climate talks yeah. in paris the 2015 Paris Climate Change Talks, it's formally known mm-hmm. as the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change 21st Session of the Conference of the Parties of the 11th Session of the Conference of Parties serving as the meeting of the parties to the Kyoto Protocol. That's the official name. Hold on, what was that? I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> They're calling it COP21, the Conference of Parties 21st Session. Like 180 so, countries yeah. gathered to solve this crazy problem and president obama just was on air answering questions he had a press conference this morning now it's interesting they uh they they talked about their goals of the conference kind of the first day and they've been having negotiations well and well into the night and everything but now they're getting down to who's going to pay for it because part of it is they 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 want 
a 120 some odd countries, 140 countries to sign on to this agreement, but most of the countries don't have the money hmm. to put in the yeah. uh, the ability to not use coal and use right, those types right. of pollutants. And so who pays for that? So the idea is that the richer nations pay the poorer nations to build the the greener yeah. energy. And and bring and to bring the technology and here's an affordable way to bring the technology to you. But people don't necessarily Who's going to pay for that? People don't want to pay. Right, but we're already paying. We're we're already paying. And so it's just kind of an interesting discussion. But uh so there's 22,000 actual officials that are there. There's 50,000 people when you have the everybody else that comes with immediate everybody mm-hmm. else. So how much – and they all have to travel basically by plane because it's in Paris. Right, right. So how much CO2 did all those yeah. people put into the air? In fact, this is great. What, Why, what, what are the Wired stats? magazine added it up. All those planes flying to Paris climate talks will release about 575 million pounds of CO2. <laughs> okay. It's about 300,000 tons of CO2 of in CO2. the atmosphere. Which is uh, what was? Did it, does it give you more numbers? It's like seventy-five cars for a year or something. Something like that, yeah. It says compared to the entire world, which produces about eighty quadrillion wow. pounds. So this is kind of a drop in the yeah, bucket. Nothing, but this still, nothing. you're going to these conferences, and the worst pollutant polluters that we have are uh, one of the worst is the uh, jet airplanes. Oh yeah, they just pump all that's this right. stuff into the air as they fly. So that's why we need teleportation. That's right. That's how. That's what will fix it. Once we can teleport <laughs> around the world, we're fine. Interesting. Well, I mean, you know, this is a big deal. Think about it. Somebody's got to solve these international problems. Why not all of us meet in Paris, have a really nice expensive meal, you know, some great entertainment, and then we'll get to solving the climate change problems. Got a great guest coming up. Dr. Eric Hasseltine will be joining us. He is um, an expert on um, basically on intelligence. He was a former intelligence officer. Also, by the way, a neuroscientist, and he's going to be walking us through an article that he wrote, Terrorism in Paris, New Neuroscience Tells Us How to Respond. Is it possible that our, we're actually falling into a trap by over-responding, by uh, you know, creating more chaos after a Paris attack? Is it possible we're actually breeding more ISIS followers? Well, according to this next guest, uh, he says absolutely. So we got to be careful. Stick with us. We'll take a break and talk about reactivity when it comes to ISIS, how not to react. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, here's a question for you. You know, um, the way we are handling ISIS, just in your gut, do you sense Do you sense we are actually solving it, adding to the solution, or adding to the problem? After the recent ISIS attack in Paris, the president of France vowed a merciless response. And here in the United States, many speculated a heavier military presence would ensue. While these are expected and oftentimes deemed accessible or acceptable reactions, they may not be the right or best responses. Our guest today, Dr. Eric Hasseltine, claims that there is a better way to react to events in Paris and other terrorist attacks. In his article, Terrorism in Paris, New Neuroscience that Tells Us How to Respond, Dr. Hasseltine discusses the neurological responses that take place when violent acts occur and how we can better balance uh, our response to those 
so that uh, we don't necessarily create more fuel um, instead of putting out the fire. Dr. Hasseltine, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Glad to be here. Great to have you. Now, you're a former intelligence officer, uh, also uh, worked at Walt Disney and Entertainment Executive, also a trained neuroscientist. Talk to us about your article. I was fascinated by it. Um, what what do you mean when it comes to how uh, our neuroscience, how is our neuroscience impacting our response to ISIS? We have two parts of our brain when it comes to making decisions. One part looks at cost-benefit. That's the infraparietal cortex of the brain. It's the part of the brain that you think of as the brain, that kind of uh, sausage-like thing hmm. outside. Yeah. Uh, another part of the brain, the temporoparietal junction, is involved when we make what we call values, sacred value-type evaluations, right or wrong. In, in one part of the brain, if someone says to you, "Here, how much money would it take to get you to stop drinking tea? You could come up with a calculation, and that part of the brain activates. But someone says, how much money would it take for you to kill someone? Well, there's no amount of money that yeah. would make you do that, and that's a different part of the brain. And why that's important is that one part of the brain ignores the other. Hmm. So when terrorism happens, our sacred value brain activates, and it says, we've got to react. We've got to do something absolute. There's right, there's wrong. And we therefore do not think about the cost-benefit. We don't think about the costs in human lives of responding to terrorism. We don't think about the cost to our national debt to increasing military spending. We just react emotionally. Interesting. And that ends up being – so our reaction would come out of our sacred value brain. But I'm assuming, too, with ISIS, their their desire to create terror is coming out of their sacred value brain. Well, that's exactly right. Um, it's a weird phenomena, but – the overactivation of their sacred value brain creates a mirrored response yeah. in our sacred value brain. And that's what they want. That is exactly their intent because they know that extreme begets extreme mm. begets extreme. So it's a whole – I mean that really is – I mean you, you can almost see it where – and I see it a lot with couples where when when one partner is – reacting fight or flight, it's inevitable that the other is going to take the bait and go fight or flight too because their body's just reacting to the amygdala, the, to the fight or flight response of the other. So I'm, I can, I can, right. you can totally see how you could create a holy war by simply everybody fighting for what's sacred and, their, and what they value and nobody's questioning right. the cost-benefit. That's right. So we have to understand that ISIS is trying to produce exactly that reaction, which means we have to move in the other direction. And that means rather than focusing on them, we have to focus on us. And that's a hard thing to do. When someone has done an evil deed, it's easy to focus on their evil instead of focusing on ourselves. So, but others would argue, Eric, that well, what that's going to do then is that that's what we've been doing. That's what Obama's been doing for seven years. Is we've backed off, and now they've taken stronghold, and ISIS now has a caliphate. And so, by doing nothing, and we kind of bi- we make it binary, right? Either or. Um, but you're not saying don't do something. You're just saying don't just react. I'm saying we need balance. Yeah, we need. I think. The world is a harsh place, and we need a military, and sometimes we have to go in with the military. But that should not be the only arrow in our quiver. We should have a whole range of responses that are balanced. And part of the response needs to be looking at ourselves. I thought that I'm a conservative Republican. 
But I thought that Obama showed tremendous courage when he supported the Ground Zero Mosque, when almost no American did. Right. And True. he did that because he wanted to show, like President Bush did when he went to a mosque right after 9-11, we don't hate Muslims. We don't like radical, violent Muslims, but we don't hate Muslims. That's an incredibly important message to get across to the Islamic world. Hmm. And it's the, the FBI and others have shown that our biggest threat from terrorism is not ISIS overseas, but Americans who get disaffected by being alienated by American attitudes towards Muslims. And that's precisely what ISIS is trying to do. They're trying to get us to alienate our Muslim populations in America to promote them to be violent. And this is this gets into the big issue, and I'm so glad we have you because I think your background is so appropriate here. Um, this gets into the issue of, you know, maybe 10 percent, I don't know the number, 15 percent of Islam might be a little more um, – they might be a little more uh, – anti-American, anti-Western, maybe a little more extremist. Is that is that about the right number? I don't know if we know the number. That seems high to me. Okay. Certainly, I think the key issue is not whether people are pro or con America, but whether they're pro or con violence. Hmm. I think there are a lot of people in the Muslim world who don't like our policies, but would never advocate violence. Right. And I think that's the more pertinent number. And that's, that number is very low. That it's you know it's looking at ISIS as Muslim is like looking at the Ku Klux Klan as Christian. Right. Right. And so when when you when you talk about our reactions and our mind and our neuroscience, everything in us would say make it us against them and 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 separate us from them. And yet the them is a huge group of people. And you're saying, and again, very, very few of them are actually pro-violence. That's right. I think the uh, Ku Klux Klan analogy is a good one to keep in mind. Yeah, because you know, yeah, if you if you were if you were like called uh, a racist because you're Christian and Ku, Ku Klux Klan members are Christian, that would totally make you mad. That's exactly the situation, and they're wanting that reaction. ISIS is trying to get us to look at all Muslims as ISIS. Right. And we have to resist that. That the battlefield that we're fighting on is not in Syria, it's not in Iraq, it's in our hearts. Yeah. And and in our brains as you're teaching us too. I mean That's it really right. it really is because it feels so natural for us to, you know, protect our sacred values and yet as if we're protecting them with aggressiveness at the cost of we might actually be driving more violence. Well, and also our brains tend to take the path of least resistance, and it's easier to focus externally and say, well, we got to bomb them, we got to put boots on the ground, than it is to do the hard work of looking in the mirror and saying, what can I do to decrease the threat of ISIS? And what I can do is work very hard not to go with my emotional gut reaction against all Muslims and to be tolerant and to be forgiving in a sense, and to uh, be open to the, the, the you know the reality that uh, that it's just a very very small number of radical Muslims who are causing this problem, hmm. and to also be aware that how we react is really important. It's the whole ballgame. 
Yeah, and and we, I mean, our reaction may ISIS has goals; they have objectives, and one of them is to just basically deepen the resentment between the East and or the West and and Islam. That's right. It's almost as if you've ever been at a concert and you heard feedback in the speaker system yeah. where you got this incredible screeching. That's exactly what happens: is that you know one stimulus creates another stimulus and it feeds on itself in a vicious circle. And the only way to stop that is to stop it, is to just say, no, I'm not going to give in to this. And it's not like I'm advocating pacifism. Mm -mm. Uh, There have to be consequences for this kind of behavior. And so I do believe there's a strong role for military force, diplomacy, and the other things. But if that's all we do, we're never going to solve this problem. Right. Well, and the rhetoric, it sounds like, is is just as equally damaging in a way as the – um, as the actual ag- aggression, right, and as, as the violence, because some of the rhetoric that we heard in the news about let's start making every Muslim member in the United States, you know, register, and so well, that, I mean that rhetoric playing, is doing the very thing that it seems like ISIS wants. See, that's what disappoints me so much as a conservative Republican that you hear that rhetoric from the Republican candidates, right. And, you know, I wonder whether ISIS knows that this is an election year and that there's going to be a lot of posturing. Because if you look at the propaganda on their websites, they take clips of candidates saying we ought to register Muslims, that no Hmm. Muslim should be president, that um, we should monitor mosques and things like that. That is exactly the reaction they want. They get it. They record it. They put it as propaganda on their websites, and it helps them recruit. ISIS is uh, suffering a recruiting problem right now. There are a lot of defections as they've experienced reversals on the battlefield from the Kurds and from all the bombing. And so they need to recruit, and we're helping them do it. Mm. Yeah, we're becoming their recruiting video. Uh, Let's do this. We're speaking with Dr. Eric Hasseltine. Eric, we'll be back in a minute to to continue this discussion. I want to get into this idea, too, that you talk about the brain and how it our brain naturally, automatically is is good at sorting, and it sorts us as good guys, bad guys. And the minute we frame a population like Muslims as the bad guys, uh, instead of differentiating that ISIS isn't just a Muslim right organization, it's um, it's important because our brain's going to make the distinction even if we don't consciously do that. Take a break. We'll be right back. Continue this discussion, folks. How we respond to ISIS may be really uh, the most important thing that uh, we can do. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we keep hearing over and over the stories of ISIS. Uh, They're recruiting locally, you know, in the United States. And uh, they're taking, you know, disenfranchised youth and they're enrolling them into uh, into their belief system, their value system. And our guest today, uh, Dr. Eric Castleton, is joining us and he's walking us through an article he wrote called Terrorism in Paris, New Neuroscience Tells Us How to Respond. And he's uh, he's teaching us that 
we got to be careful because uh, we have a natural, you know, instinct to to favor sacred and value based things over uh, other things. You know, maybe the cost benefit analysis. You know, maybe more logical thinking. We'll go with our sacred values first. The absolute right versus absolute wrong. The problem is, um, so does our enemy as well. And so we get into this battle between what they call sacred, what we call sacred, and then we all just kind of, the ends justify the means. We just keep bombing and hurting and bombing and hurting. And the more we bomb, the more they're justified to grow ISIS. And the more ISIS grows, the more we have to bomb and uh, we all go down together. So uh, he's here today to walk us through um, some lessons that we could all learn about how to respond in probably a more effective way to uh, ISIS. Dr. Eric Hasseltine, again, an intelligence officer, former intelligence officer, and a trained neuroscientist. Um, We appreciate you being here again. Great to be here. Hey, Eric, talk to us about, uh, there is a big argument right now, and in fact, uh, Trump and others have been playing on it about how politically correct we are all being um, about ISIS in not in not framing them, you know, as extre- if we, we can frame them as an extremist, but don't say, a, 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 you know, an Islamic extremist. Um, but really what you you might be teaching us here is one way, I guess, to look at it is that's just politically correct. Another way to look at it is to know your enemy and don't just keep perpetuating myths and stereotypes that will ennoble and, and strengthen your enemy. Yeah, I'm as frustrated with political correctness as anybody, but there's a great principle in neurolinguistics that says that language etches the grooves into which our thoughts must run. And the same is true of feelings. Words matter. So if we immediately associate the word terrorist with Muslim, then all the emotional reactions that we have for terrorists will map on to Muslim. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is exactly what ISIS wants. And so people like Trump and people like Carson are playing into their hands. They're doing precisely what ISIS wants. And, you know, it's interesting to me that you played that commercial for Star Wars yeah. It's a fabulous analogy when Darth Vader is confronting Luke Skywalker and says, feel the anger, feel the rage. That feeds the dark side of the forest. Darth Vader was trying to get Luke Skywalker to do exactly what ISIS is trying hmm. to get us to do, resort to anger and hate. And, yeah. um, you know, Yoda in that movie says uh, hate leads to suffering. And that's exactly what we got. Isn't that interesting? It really is. And yet we it's logical, isn't it? So in our mind, we're like, that's logical. We should be mad because of 9-11 and we should be mad because of Paris. But anger is not going to destroy the enemy. It only is going to destroy us. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say, gee, what can we really do? I think there's a sense of helplessness about this problem. People get that bombing and putting boots on the ground aren't going to necessarily work. We had that in the war of Iraq. We put right. a thousand troops there. We already did that. And look what we got. So people kind of get that it doesn't work, but they don't know what else to do. So I'm offering an idea and it's not the only thing. Like I said, I don't, I'm not naive enough to think that you have to issue military activity completely. Right. But one thing all of us can do, is we can look inside ourselves and say, we aren't going to hate. We are not going to let them win. I'm going to look at my emotional reactions, take a deep breath, 
And imagine that Muslims are every bit as good as Christians. Yeah. And it's that simple. I think that uh, that's what we have to do. And that's powerful. And I also say in the article that the things that we say and do affect our children. That's the real battlefield. That yeah. if we say things that are negative against Muslims, our kids hear that and it has a powerful effect on them. And it show, I, show, I talk about in the article that attitudes of we versus they, kind of our tribal instinct. Yeah. Although our affinity to bond to one group or another is innate, which group we identify with is not. And so I show in the article that those kind of ideas don't solidify until about the age of 12. So there's hope. If we say to our kids before they get to be the age of 12, and very uh, forcefully say, uh, Muslims are not bad. Muslims are people just like everybody else. And we shouldn't be uh, tempted to be angry at them. Kids will hear that, and it will affect them, and it will affect how they in turn behave as adults and how they inculcate ideas into their own children. Yeah. I mean, so, really, it's our leadership, right? It's parent. It's it's we have to be open. I wonder if one of the problems with the Muslim, um, I guess, bias or anti-Muslim bias that we may have is that most of us don't interact daily with Muslims, right? So yes. we we what we see is what we have on TV. And I wonder if it wouldn't, um, like you gave the example earlier, that ISIS is to the Muslim world what the Ku Klux Klan is to the Christian world. Um, but but I, I look at it and I think if, if every news story about the Ku Klux Klan kept talking about how they're Christians and all of this, I wonder if more Christian religions wouldn't just stand up and, and start talking back and saying no and and, and educating mm-hmm. the, the world. Why do you sense that, I guess, American Muslim leaders aren't being more vocal? Or are they and we're just not picking it up? I think they are. Are they? And we're not picking it up. They absolutely are. They're out there all the time, and uh, there are outreach programs, but there aren't many of them. And also, for whatever reason, it, it's not good media. I mean, the news media present news that people are going to want to listen. Yeah, true, huh? It's a sad thing. I mean, news has become more entertainment. Yeah. And so it just doesn't lead to good ratings to talk about those things. Yeah, if, if so you could pick a Donald media, Trump quote or a Muslim leader quote, you'll yeah, probably go with the Donald Trump quote. That, this is one thing that really bothers me about the way we responded to 9-11. You saw shows like 24, where Jack Bauer would torture someone yeah. every week right. to get results. That was incredibly damaging. And in fact, the commandant of West Point went to the producers of that show and the Homeland and others and said, do not show torture because it's killing my soldiers on the battlefield. Oh, wow. Because they take those shows, they put them on their propaganda websites, it creates outrage, and it helps them recruit. Mm -hmm. And you get more suicide bombers, you get more insurgents, and in turn, you lose more American lives. There's a direct connection. And so the media make a huge difference in this. And again, they promote the ideas that torture is okay. Right. And, you know, when we do that, we lost because we become our enemy. And we, we keep hearing that um, why Donald Trump uh, is having so much success is because he's 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 striking a chord with Americans. 
And yet, so it's kind of like the dog wagging the tail. Is is Trump because of the dog? Is Trump the tail that's the dog is wagging, or is the is the tail wagging the dog? And I, I guess in reality, it doesn't matter who starts it. But I mean, we can start it right now. We have to not react to this. We have to lead it well, and and not react. I think it's very simple minded thinking. And as a psychologist and neuroscientist, I look at it as helplessness and fear and powerlessness. When 9-11 happened, we felt very uh, powerless and helpless at this tragedy, this, this horror that happened. And so when you look at the Trump pronouncements and you look at what happened on our TV shows like 24, yeah. it's all about making Americans feel powerful again. And so Trump offers a simple answer. Let's get tough on immigration. Let's kick out uh, illegal immigrants. Let's register Muslims. Let's do the obvious, simple things that make us feel powerful and potent. But it's an illusion. It actually produces the opposite of what we want. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard thing, that our impulse... The, the, you know, it's interesting, the sacred value brain is part of the emotional brain, whereas the cost-benefit brain is more logical. Unfortunately, for survival reasons, our emotional brain reacts much more quickly and much more powerfully than our logical brain. Right. And so that's really what Trump is doing. That's what those TV shows are doing. They're appealing to our emotional brain to get an emotionally satisfying result, which, however, is exactly wrong. And it doesn't mean, like you're saying, that you can't take on um, you can't take on ISIS. You just you take them on. In other ways that I mean, you shut down their economies, you you close certain doors, you it, it's just it's other work, and you can spend. I mean, it's even building coalitions. We saw the minute Russia entered the war in Syria, there was there's there's an impact, but there's also retaliation, and France takes a hit, and I mean, it's a you can't you can't just react. It, it seems like we're now in a war. Yeah, and I think we should look at it as a war. Churchill said something fabulous during World War II. He said, we will fight them in the air, we will fight them on the ground, we will fight them on the sea. When we only fight ISIS on the ground and the air militarily, we're losing one of the most important battlefields, the hearts and minds of ourselves. Yeah. And so we cannot beat an enemy if we don't fight them on all the battlefields on which the battle is taking place. It's true. We, it, it's just it doesn't make as good a video, does it? To to sit there and talk about the intellectual or the, the kind of the uh, emotional, psychological approach we have to take. It just isn't as they'd rather just show the tanks rolling into, you know, Iraq. Well, that's right. I mean, you can imagine a political candidate saying in this environment, now is the time to go in the opposite direction that ISIS wants us to go. Oh, yeah. Now is the time to not contemplate violence, but contemplate tolerance. I don't think that message would play very well and get very many votes. No. And so ultimately, we can't blame Trump. No. We can't blame the producers of 24. We have to look, as I said in my article, in the mirror. We have to look at ourselves because that's where the real action is. And it's and we can, and everyone can point fingers. It's it almost is the perfect crime, because you know uh, Republicans can point fingers at the president for being weak, and the president mm-hmm. can point fingers at the at the Republicans for being too 
you know, blindly aggressive, you know, too hawkish. And mm-hmm. and in the end, it's it's all the same thing. I mean, yeah. And, and like I said, I'm a conservative Republican. I'm very strong on national security and national defense. But in this case, I think Obama's got it right. He's resisting the impulse to go over there and do military action. It's going to get Americans killed. There will be collateral damage and civilians will die. And in the end, it will be counterproductive. Hmm. Now, that isn't to say that we have to avoid all military options. I do think there's a role for that. But if that's all we do, then the end result is going to be bad. Yeah. Well, and again, these wars have been going on in the Middle East tribally forever. And so and, – and by the way, it's been tribally going on because of the same paradigm you've been talking about, right? The sacred brain versus the utilitarian brain. Yeah, that's right. And you know, it's interesting that in all wars, what happens is we dehumanize the enemy by calling them a name. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, in, the ne- in the last World War, we called them the Krauts or Jerry's, or we, we said even worse things about the Japanese. And what that does is it removes them from being humans who we have a hard time killing. Right. You know, it's an interesting thing in warfare, but about one in ten soldiers is incapable of shooting the enemy, even when the enemy is trying to kill them. They found in the Battle of Gettysburg that there were many muskets on both sides that were crammed with uh, ammunition, where the soldiers would fake reloading and fake shooting at the enemy because they could not bring themselves to kill another human. Hmm. It's a very strong instinct that we have. And the way we overcome that is we said, well, they're not humans. And so uh, that's exactly what ISIS is trying to get us to do. They're trying to get us to dehumanize Muslims so that we will treat them inhumanely. So true. How, as we wrap this up, uh, Eric, what would you say, what could we do as the average father? I know you mentioned it earlier as as a parent. Just as a regular Joe uh, in in the country, what could we do to to actually – not fall into this fight or flight, his, them versus us mentality. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you mentioned something really important. You said that we don't, most of us, know Muslims. Right. I think if I was a father and I had growing up kids, I would want to take them to a mosque and meet the imam. What happens when you meet Muslims? And I spent a lot of time in Iraq and Afghanistan and other parts of the, the Gulf in the Middle East. And when you get to know Muslims. You stop seeing them as Muslims. You see them as people. You see them as humans with all of the pluses and minuses of humans. So I I think that exposure to people uh, would be key. Once we start seeing them as humans and we stop labeling them as Muslims and we start putting a, a face to a name, like we meet an imam, we meet Muslims in a mosque, uh, it, it sounds kind of weird. But I think it's the answer. You know, yeah. it, it goes in the opposite direction of dehumanizing. We need to humanize. We need to put a, a face on it. We need to know a specific person and go, oh, when I think of Muslim, I think of Ahmed. And Ahmed's a great guy. Yeah. I know him. And, and that's what we need to do. We have to replace these negative images with more realistic images. Mm. So true. I totally, I totally agree. And appreciate your insight, Eric. Um, I guess they can go find you at nextcentury.com. Is that the best place to get a hold of you? Uh, well, um, mostly you can see me at psychologytoday.com. I have a blog okay. called Long Views Big Bang. That's right. 
And it's a great, and, uh, it really is a great you can blog. get me at the Lead Bureau and other places. Uh, just Google me. I'm all over the web. Dr. Eric Hasseltine, H-A-S-E-L-T-I-N-E. Thank you, Eric, for being with us. Great, great insight. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. You bet. Powerful, powerful folks. Get out there. Break the boundaries. Go Go truly get to know these fellow humans. They're not just a label. They're not just something we can demonize or dehumanize. They're people just like you and me. They have kids. They have dreams just like the rest of us. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back, friends. Imagine that, that uh, instead of just dehumanizing Muslims, why don't you go meet one? Why don't you go talk to an imam at at a local um, mosque? How great would that be? That your kids could actually know Muslims. I mean, I live in Utah. There's not a lot of diversity here. And yet, I'm on a campus where there's a ton of diversity. And so I need, I could probably become much more proactive in going out, extending a hand, and and truly trying to study maybe the Muslim faith and the beliefs more and understand uh, that it's a tiny percentage of people that, um, that are Muslim that want to actually be violent. We have to blow up that myth, that stereotype, and quit just believing it's us versus them. There's a great uh, quote at the end of um, Dr. Eric Hasseltine's article that goes like this. It was The quote uh, is attributed to uh, the, an author, Lawrence Wright, at the end of his book, um, at the end of his play, My Trip to Al-Qaeda. And it says, Al-Qaeda cannot destroy America. Only we can do that. Al-Qaeda can't destroy us, folks. Only we can do that. ISIS can't destroy us. Only we can do that. And based on our responses, um, it's going to determine if we destroy ourselves. If we keep justifying our responses uh, and and our reactivity and our hatred of an, an entire population, if we keep doing that without thinking, it will destroy us. It's not the snake that bites us, right, that kills us. It's chasing the snake that drives the venom to the heart. It's not what happened in France and Paris that would destroy the French people. It's what you do after you've been bit that determines who you are. And just because you have the power to destroy people doesn't mean that you should. Um, Again, it doesn't mean we, we can't go take on ISIS, but we also ought to simultaneously love our fellow man. Take care of those that are in need. Refugees, we can still love them fully and protect uh, ourselves. We, we can do both. We have the power. That's what makes us uniquely human. We'll take a break, folks. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show in the can. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Stick with us. This is 
is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can in this program to give you the information, the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. And by the way, it is Eat a Red Apple Day. Not a green apple. Not a brown apple. Red apple. Every day. It keeps the doctor away. And it will also keep the anti-Santa Claus away. What's his name again, Ben? Krampus. Krampus. You might be grateful you don't live in Germany. So, Krampus. Krumpets. Krampus. Krampus. There you go. Uh, Krampus is the villain anti-Claus. He has to throw in the German accent and throws everything off. Just Krampus. Let me get this straight, Ben. There's Santa. There's old Saint Nick. What do we call him in German? Weinachsmann? No, that's not it. It's Santa Claus. It doesn't sound merry at all. Weinachsmann? What's that? It sounds like you're going to get some sort of medication to cure your <laughs> lupus or something. Oh, my heck. Do you have Weinachsmann? Um, Hammer toe? But it is. But then there's the anti-claus. And the anti Excuse me. The anti-claus is the guy that goes around and hits people with a stick. Like a bundle of sticks. Oh, so it's not like a, it's not like a bar. You're not... You're not injuring him. You're just hitting him with some some switches. Yeah, I mean, it, it hurts. Oh, it does? Yeah. Do <laughs> you know how long, like, let's just say, let's just say the anti-clause. I'm going to call him the anti-clause. The anti-clause, let's just say he grabbed his bundle of sticks, and then he just went around, I don't know, Detroit. Yeah, Detroit's not going to handle and Just started Krampus chasing well. a guy down and just started hitting people. Yeah. He'd probably be shot. Yeah. It makes sense. Germany, they wouldn't shoot Krampus. What do they do with him? If he approaches you, what are you supposed to do? Well, like, people, like, will form a circle around him. Ooh. And, like... Stone him. No, no, he'll just go around and hit people. It's like, fun. It, it's a thing you take your kids to. You terrorize your children. It's fun. Really? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the movie uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? I've heard of it, never seen it traumatized me i can't remember the country that they lived in but it was like austria it was some austrian country but they had a kid snatcher a child snatcher an, an austrian country i don't know i don't know it was like austria it was like a country. the yeah. austro-hungry empire i don't know it was somewhere over there it was it was hungry i don't remember where it was but it was they had a kid snatcher that would go steal kids and it terrified me. Have you ever heard of the grim fairy tales? Yes. They're messed up. They're grim. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and apparently Germany's keeping it alive with the anti-clause. And then people just circle around and like, hey, come hit me with your sticks. Yeah. Somebody will be pushed into the circle. It's like a gang. Wow. It's like a gang thing. Anyway. You know, it could be worse. They do something similar and. In- Football practicing, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, bull in the ring, right? But everyone's in pads, so it's you know it's cool. But you're just standing around with a guy with a stick. These Boy. are like six or seven year old children. Yeah, oh, that's is... even worse. 
Germany, wow. It could be worse, don't you think? I mean, you could be one of the three that were arrested in Vaughn, Canada for stealing a tractor full of cheese. Mm, cheese. This is where you need the anti-clause. Three men, ages 36, 19, and 31, were arrested when police responded to a call reporting attempted theft of a tractor trailer parked along the local highway. Apparently, here comes the tractor. It was a semi-truck full of trailer of cheese. Cheese. Uh, officers uh, reported... Um, but it needs a tune-up, apparently. Yeah, that that truck, sounds horrible. It's got a muffler problem. <laughs> the tr- they tried to stop it's the truck. cheese. It's dropped a cylinder. But they ended their pursuit in favor of public safety after the driver refused to pull over. Shortly after, police responded to a call that a tractor trailer had flipped over and later arrested all three. Police are unsure what motivated the theft, but the trailer contained upwards of 30,000 pounds of cheese. It's a lot of cheese. Krumpus is going to get them, put them in the circle, and take the switch to him. How fast do you think that chase was? 12 miles an hour. <laughs> you had a truck full of cheese. You decide not to stop. But have you tell they me. They run you off the road. Have you ever had like too much cheese and then you're yeah. like, oh, I can't run? Yeah. So that's all that was going on there. There's just too much cheese on board. It's too much It gums cheese. up your system. It does. It's a little is good. A little is fantastic. A lot is bad. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, you're just backed up. <laughs> Traffic's backed up for miles. When the truck tipped over, right? Yeah, we're talking about the okay. truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What oh, else? Not, we not the cheese? About? Not the cheese. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, was, there was, it was a cheese truck backed up. Hey, um... Anything? You see, like a wheel of cheese rolling down the road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it was sad. Um, again, today eat an apple a day, red apple a day. It's that day. It's also Giving Tuesday, the day we give back after taking so much on Black Friday, and Cyber Monday, Sacred Sunday, Sacred Sunday, Sleepy Saturday, and Cyber Monday. I've made up a few of those. I was going to say, I didn't really see the memo on those. Yeah, they're, they're not as popular. Okay. But they will be now that we've mentioned it. Uh, let's get to the headlines. What's going on around the rest of the world, Terry? Thanks, Matt. CBS News sat down with Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton and talked to her about her plan to take the fight to ISIS. She says that she would continue the air campaign and incorporate Middle Eastern allies to attack ISIS militarily and work on their uh, means of their economic means of gaining funds to fund uh, their actions in their caliphate, but as the U.S. troops would not be deployed in the region. In terms of thousands of combat troops, like some on the Republican side are recommending, I think that should be a non-starter. And it should be a non-starter both because I don't think it's the smartest way to go after ISIS. I think it gives ISIS a new recruitment tool if we get back in the fight. Clinton would hope to get Russia to help in the fight against ISIS now that they are operating in the region. Donald Trump floated the idea of skipping the next Republican presidential debate unless CNN pays him $5 million on Monday. Speaking at a rally in Georgia, Trump proposed the idea of boycotting the December 15th debate because CNN doesn't treat me properly, he said, and he felt he was responsible for the network's high ratings during the debate it hosted in September. After proposing the idea to the crowd, Trump continued, I won't do the debate unless they pay me $5 million, all of which money goes to the wounded warriors or to the vets. The real estate mogul then added that the people who are really, really smart, uh, what he said, the, he then added that people who are really, really, really smart like I am don't need teleprompters, which was kind of a word. Um, he knows it's a debate, right? Yeah, but he wants to be paid to show up. Well, then don't show up. Honestly. 
That might not be bad. Now we're down to 13. Just don't show up. And then he tries to guilt CNN and do you pay me, I, I give, it, give it to charity. What he would do is if he didn't show up, he would end up being on another network that night. Yeah. And then he'd tout, look at my ratings versus their ratings. But really, let's just not have him show up to this one. It will be fine. Just let Rubio and Cruz talk more. That's what would happen. It's not a big deal. Yeah. There was just one female Democratic senator not on stage with Hillary Clinton during a Washington, D.C. fundraiser and endorsement event on Monday. Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. The Massachusetts senator signed a letter in 2014 that called on Clinton to run for president, but she has not endorsed anyone in the primary as of yet and is one of just six Democratic senators who have not backed Clinton. This according to ABC News. Clinton's campaign said all of the senators who endorsed her were invited to the event at the uh, the hotel there in D.C., but did not reveal if an invitation had been extended to Warren. Of course one had. She would love her to be there. But she wasn't. So what does that mean? She probably was really busy. (laughs) And something going on. Chasing the anti-claws. Anti-claws. Krumpus. A hacker who gained access to the servers of Hong Kong electronic toy maker VTech obtained more than just the email addresses, passwords, and home addresses of 5 million adults. He or she also found tens of thousands of photos of children. The hacker said some of the data came from VTech's Kids Connect service, which lets parents using an app on their smartphones chat with their kids on VTech tablets. The hacker found thousands of pictures used as avatars on apps, chat messages between parents and their kids, and audio files. The hacker said he will not sell or publish any of the data he obtained. So be careful with your kids' toys. They're advanced, so you can talk with your kid, but that stores them on a server yeah, somewhere. You, you think you're just doing? They're just out playing a little VTech game about frogs or whatever, and the next yeah. thing you know, have you seen these VTech tablets yeah, that are available? Pretty cool. It gives your kid kind of an, an introduction to the the software and to the technology, which right? is good. Yeah, but you can mix in some educational type aspects to Those it. Those are amazing. But as you log in, and there's more functionality, it gets stored in the cloud, and then it's now available uh. for hackers to go after. The world's biggest animal cloning center is scheduled to open in the Chinese port city of Tianjin next year. The company behind it has announced the $31 million facility will clone animals like beef cattle, dogs for pets and police work, and racehorses. The facility will also include a gene bank and a museum. In a press statement, a spokesperson said that Chinese farmers are struggling to produce enough beef cattle to meet market demand. He said that the center will produce 100,000 cattle embryos a year, eventually increasing to 1 million. Many took to social media to express their skepticism on eating cloned meat. Matt, are you interested in eating cloned meat? I will eat any meat, cloned or not. Would you check to see if it's cloned? Yeah, I would first go to that museum. Because that museum is going to have some pretty amazing animals. Well, this the is three-headed our, cow. One of our early tests. <laughs> this didn't go well. Yeah, I worry a little bit about. I mean, I get it. You got a clone to feed China. That I mean, they, that's their point. We need more more meat, food. Right? Yeah, but I don't know. That's kind of scary. Do you check to see if like yours is grass-fed beef or no. anything like that, or do you just buy the meat and go? No, and cook I it? just say I'll have a number four. Yeah. And sure, and mo- supersizer. And most of that could be pink slime was over the last exactly. three years. So. They're not cloning slime. No. More I mean, ammonia than meat. Yeah. I mean, you can just make ammonia. <laughs> oh, that is sad. So cloned beef. <sighs> supermarket what? near you. First beef, then what? Now, and they're going to do 
like dogs house pets for pets and police work. Do we need all you need to do if you want a dog? Go to Argentina. They're running around all over down there. There's plenty. Oh, that's just sad. So yeah, a cloning hmm. facility. Next couple of years. If you could clone something, though, who would you clone? Let's clone one person. Me. I'd clone you. That person. That that other. The other thing. The other white meat. The other thing could go and do all the parts of my life I don't want to deal with. Yeah, like the lawn. Yeah, he could mow the lawn for me. Yeah. Meetings. He could go uh-huh. sit in a meeting, take notes. I would whatever. have. I'd have a me that just always carries my stuff. Did I tell you about this? So I. Over the weekend, I drove like four hours. But I drove for about a half hour before I realized I had forgotten my wallet. And I had to drive back home that would, to get my wallet. That would be your clone's responsibility. My clone, me, would have known that. He would Carry be the my, wallet. Yeah, it would be like the guy – it would be like my personal it, assistant. You'd make your personal assistant – it would be you. But you don't want your personal assistant to look like you. No, you could alter it. Put make, a dress on Make him, him wear a mask or something. Yeah. That's what I'd clone. I'd get mine a stormtrooper mask. He just follow behind me, or yeah. you could just clone somebody else. And no, you wouldn't have to buy a mask. That would get weird. Yeah, that's weird. There's ethical issues there about you know how you tell someone else what to do. You're telling yourself to do things. That's is that fine. Ben or is that the clone? Oh, that's the clone. Yeah, you can tell because this one can't. Because then, then you take your passive aggressive things out on this person, mm-hmm. rather than yeah, it's on yourself. It's more healthy. But that, that would way. be a fun way to test. You test it on your clone before you do it on the real guy. Maybe. There's a shot he'd do this. <laughs> My clone fell for it. I don't understand the problem. Interesting. Thank heavens we don't have to go there yet. Apparently, China will be going there before all of us. Uh, coming up in just a minute, um, Scott Geller will be joining us. Dr. Scott Geller, uh, who is an alum from um, Virginia Tech. He's a director of the Center for Applied Behavior Systems at Virginia Tech. He's going to be talking to us about motivation theory. Many of us are so afraid of failing that we don't actually ever succeed. He's going to be talking to us about what one of the, the biggest motivating, driving activities you can do. So if you feel like you're a little down and out and you're not quite as motivated as you need to be, you got to listen to this next interview. Dr. Scott Geller will be joining us. Uh, interesting, interesting information about how, how to actually get reinvigorated. And it's a perfect time of year to be following this advice. Stick with us, folks, helping you find the good in the world, hopefully also helping you live longer and stronger. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with Dr. Scott Geller. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, when your alarm goes off in the morning, do you ever feel like you'd rather just lie in bed and hit the snooze button, and the only thing dragging you back to the office is your fear of getting fired? Do you ever pull through the day motivated by the fear or the mere thought that your kids are sitting homeless on the street corner if you don't get your act together at work? 
You know, the consequences of our actions, whether good or bad, control our lives more than we know it. So how can we be more motivated by hope of success rather than the fear of failure? Dr. Scott Geller, director of the Center of Applied Behavior Systems at Virginia Tech, suggests that we should reduce being controlled by negative consequences in order to increase our perceptions of personal freedom. Dr. Geller joins us today live from Virginia to help us understand how we can be more self-motivated and less fearful of failure. Dr. Geller, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be here. So great, great to have you. Great introduction, man. You've got it all together. I'm telling I you, it. I got a great team, <laughs> Scott. And one of the things that uh, I loved, I've been watching your TED Talk, um, and we'll post that on the on the at, at Dr. Matt uh, show Twitter feed. But uh, you've got so much energy and just great ideas about human motivation. Why do you think it is that we're all so kind of fear-focused? Well, psychologists have shown that those negative consequences are actually remembered more than the positive consequences. Mm. If you think about it, think about your life. Those, those negative times, um, unfortunately, stick with us longer. And the other thing is we run around with a bunch of myths. We think we learn more from our mistakes. You've heard that yeah, right. how many times, and that's totally wrong. Psychologists have shown that when you're, when you're successful and you know you're successful, I mean, you, you learn more and you feel competent. Feeling competent is one of the keys to feeling self-motivated, as you know from the TEDx talks. Right. So, so clearly, when we focus on the negative things, and we, you know, that leads to learned helplessness. That leads to giving up. And that's not, that's not the kind of energetic, self-motivated person we want to be. No, it almost, I guess it's self, it's, it's eventually self-destructive. If our motivation comes from our fear, we will eventually end, end it. We'll eventually run out of motivation, won't we? Absolutely. And, and it's kind of like, you know, you got your domain of concern. I mean, all of us are concerned of what's, what's happening in this world, you know, and, and that can drive us down. But thinking about, oh, oh, what, and, and it's the stuff in Paris, and you, you can't turn mm. on the television without seeing stuff to worry about. But, but Stephen Covey and others have said, we have to focus on our, our circle of influence. Mm. That's inside our circle of of concern. So meaning there are certain things in our lives that we can control and we need to put our focus there. And when we do that, we can actually make our circle of influence bigger. We can influence more people. And part of that influence, I'm absolutely convinced from our research, needs to be positive. We, we call our whole process actively caring for people. Hmm. And there's a website, ac4p.org. And it is a website that really talks about spreading acts of kindness. Years ago, we called it random acts of kindness. Right. No, it's, it's, it's purposeful. You need to think about it. We have, I, I'd been distributing a wristband. It's a green wristband. It says actively caring for people worldwide. If you go to that website, you'll see stories. People post stories on that website. There are over 3,000 stories right now, and it's really inspiring. What's the story? The story is, I gave this wristband, this actively caring for people wristband, to this individual because they did this. They Mm. helped somebody. Or, I received this wristband because I did this. And those are the... That's the optimistic. Those are the positive stories. And by the way, each wristband 
has its own identification number. Hmm. So what happens when you post your story, you put your wristband number with your story, but then you pass it on. You don't keep the wristband. Oh, great. You give it to somebody else when you see them actively caring for somebody else. And by the way, notice the word actively caring. So active, that's behavior. And I'm a, I'm a behavior scientist. Yeah. I've been a behavior scientist for 46 years here at Virginia Tech. But caring, that's the humanistic side. So it's, it's, we all care, but do you act on that caring? So we actually do role-playing and training sessions to teach people how do you approach a stranger and thank them with a kind act that they did. It's not easy. It's yeah. not easy. Some of us are easier than others. The, the extrovert has an easier time than, than us introverts. But the, the bottom line is we need to spread acts of kindness, and that's really what, 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 our, what our theme has. I have a new book com- coming out next year published by Cambridge University Press. I don't, if you don't mind me just Yeah, please, go it. ahead. It's called Applied Psychology. <laughs> and the, the subtitle is actively caring for people interesting and there aren't many books in applied psychology and and this this one talks about improving athletes traffic safety preventing alcohol abuse um actively caring for obesity caring for children preschoolers so this book tackles many many of the problems we're dealing with in our society from a humanistic It'd be a humanistic behaviorism perspective or an actively caring perspective. Well, so, so really what you're saying is we can be motivated by our fears. Um, and you even call them failure avoiders, these things that yeah. terrify us. Or we can go to, to basic, the most basic form of applied psychology would be, and motivation would be actively being in the act of doing, caring, taking care of other people. Actively caring for other people is... A, a pretty intrinsic, inherent motivator. And, and Matt, it feels good when you do that. Yeah. You know, may, many people, have you heard about Maslow's hierarchy? Oh, yeah, needs? yeah. What's at the top? Uh, self-actualization. <laughs> yeah, I got you. That's what people think. You satisfy your, your physical needs, then you've got safety and security, and then, and then you, you, you care about your social needs, and then we call it self-esteem. And you're right, self-actualization. But before Abraham Maslow passed away in 1970, he said he was wrong. Ah. That's not the best you can be. The top of that hierarchy, get this, is self-transcendence. Yeah, that's right. Going beyond yourself for somebody else, and we call it actively caring. Yes, it's one thing to be self-actualized. You're great for your purpose, but self-transcending is your great for everyone else's purpose. Oh, man, that's exactly right. Our research these days is trying to demonstrate clearly that we feel better about their, ourselves when we've helped somebody else. Yeah. So we're, and, and that's really, if we can just get that going, if we can get people to realize that it's reinforcing to help others, hmm. we'd save the world, man. And we, we need to, because this world is so much into self-serving oh yeah it's a it's a selfie i want to help you that's <laughs> <laughs> a I wanna, selfie i want to turn the selfie to a healthy man that website by the way again is uh www.ac4p ac4p.org yes, actively sir. caring for number four p um which is it's such a great idea and um talk about a little bit this 
we, we, we need to move out of ourself into kind of a higher purpose of, of helping, of serving, of giving back, of changing the life for others. Um, instead of being so having, I call it arrows out, arrows in, arrows kind of banging into my fears, my concerns. Um, a lot of this is we drill this, don't we? You, you have four motivational typologies. Talk about that. What to 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 achieve success versus avoiding failure? What, what are you talking about there? Well, I'm talking about a mindset, aren't I? I'm talking yeah. about a paradigm. These are perceptions. It's you know, I asked my class, as you saw in the TEDx talk, how many are here to avoid failure? And and eighty percent of the of the eight hundred of the six hundred students raise their hand, mm. and I said, "Well, you're motivated. I'm glad you're here, but you probably told your friends, I got to go to class, not I get to go to class.' Mm-hmm. You probably woke up to an alarm clock, not an opportunity clock. And again, it's how you see it, and all it is is about how you talk to yourself. Self talk is powerful, and we can talk ourselves down." You know, I call it, we can, I, I use the word, we can, we can masturbate. Mm. I must do this, I must do this, no, that's I must true. do this, I must do this. And then when we don't do it, when we don't reach our expectations, we should on ourselves. Mm-hmm. I oh, should geez. have done that, it's... I should have done this, I should have done that. We and, do, we and, beat ourselves up. Yeah, we put ourselves in this, it's in mindset, this failure, failure deal. And again, it's, neuropsychologists have, have claimed that, that those it's not easy to move out of that because in, in terms of, in terms of, you know, from the caveman years, it's important to survive, to remember the failures, to remember what we didn't do, to look for the mistakes, hmm. just to survive. But we're beyond that now. See, we don't need to be in that mindset. And, and by the way, when we're working to achieve, the students in my class who see it as an opportunity they get to go to class. They feel more choice. Hmm. And choice is motivating. If, if you sit back and you realize, Matt, what choices do I have? And you start to make a list of the choices I have. And, of course, that, that connects right to gratification. What, what am I gratified? What, what, am I ple- what am I pleased to have? Choices, that increases one's motivation. And, of course, the opposite is a failure avoider. That that decreases the perception mm. of choice. That's interesting because, yeah, you can't make a choice you don't see, you're not aware of. And if your eyes aren't prone to see, if you don't have the eyes to see, then you're going to just keep seeing no choice. It's forced. It's, you know, you may as well be in prison. But, you know, you didn't have to have orange juice this morning. Right. You didn't have to drive 55 miles an hour. You didn't have to take the. It's almost like we take it for granted. We take our choices for granted. And all I'm suggesting is talk to yourself about that. In fact, I asked my students, how many buckle up out of habit? They all raise their hand. And I say, that's good. But you know what great is to talk to yourself? I chose to buckle up. Mm. I'm setting an example for safety. Matter of fact, I, I claim that when you talk to people, instead of saying, why did you do that? Say, why did you choose to do that? Bring in the human dynamic of choice in your conversation. You didn't have to do that. You chose to do the right thing. Thank you. Hmm. And, and that very subtle shift in just yeah. even our verbiage, our language will make a difference. Yeah, and you're right. It, it is so subtle. 
It is so subtle. It's, it's, but it can, that subtle shift can influence how you see the world. That's right. And, and we're pushing the idea. Like we can get people looking for the kind acts of others, from holding the door open to helping somebody with their groceries. To, to, if we, we just be more attentive to, to the positive things of our world, we'll, we're going to be less fearful and less attentive to the negative things. Yeah. And that's part of what the AC4P um, movement. We're calling it a movement, by oh, yeah, the way. And I like it, got, that. it got big after our tragedy here at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody knows yeah. those 32. And it was, I've been giving out the wristbands 20 years before then. But when that tragedy happened, and it's too bad it happens this way, after the tragedy, people were hugging each other. Strangers. We were approaching strangers. Are you okay? Right. I mean, this whole culture became an actively caring for people culture. Mm. And it, we, we see this happening in Paris, of course, yeah. don't we? Of course. And so we wait. Too bad we can't be more proactive. And what we're pushing is we could do this. Before. We don't have to have the tragedy to get people to show their caring. We can do it before, right. and then we can prevent the next one. And the world, I mean, this is what the world needs. We don't need the disaster to motivate it. We can just see it and choose it now. Let's take a break. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Scott Geller. He uh, is talking to us about a website that and a movement he's creating that is called uh, www.ac4p.org. AC number four. P.org. And uh, it's a great website to help people start actively caring for people. He finds it to be one of the, the top ways to actually create human motivation and eventually, you know, transcendence. It, it, it'll change how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you share. Powerful stuff. More with Dr. Scott Geller when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, on the phone with us from Virginia, Dr. Scott Geller, who's the director of the Center for Applied Behavior Systems at Virginia Tech. He's teaching us about the power of, of personal motivation, but really maybe personal motivation uh, is best created, found, when we aren't focusing on ourselves, when instead we are trying to actively care for people. And that is a, a movement that uh, Dr. Geller has been working on for 20-plus years. He has a website that is www.ac4p.org. That's the number four, ac4p.org, which stands for Actively Caring for People. And uh, you may have heard about it. it. It got a lot of ground and a lot of leverage at the Virginia Tech uh, tragedy, uh, the shooting on campus there. And um, since then, it's, he's, been, he's been teaching it for 20-plus years, but he's here today to talk about human motivation and some of the powerful tools he's been learning about how to actually improve our own motivation. Appreciate you being here, Dr. Geller. Oh, thank you, Matt. And, boy, you are good, man. You, put, you just summarized that whole thing in, in wonderful. I, thank I, you. I appreciate your words. Well, thank you make you. it easy. You make it very easy to, <laughs> to get it. What, uh, what we were talking about earlier is a lot of us, and it's, it's kind of just human nature, we tend to focus on the fears. We tend to focus on the negatives. We worry more about the snakes in the garden than the flowers yeah. that are so beautiful. 
Um, talk to us about – and you, you were proposing that – and the research I think supports it strongly – that humans that tend to be more outwardly focused on sharing and growing and helping and taking care of others and have the ability to see the good are going to be healthier – what are some other principles or areas that we need to focus on? We talked about seeing. What else can we do um, as humans to make sure that we are we're human we're human doers we're human we're growing and transcending our own weak thoughts thoughts and and you know you said we're healthier we're also happier yeah you know when we reach out and help others we're happier well you know I think if we kind of realize. I talk about in my TEDx talk, I talk about the four C words. First, I think we have to understand that behavior is driven by consequences. Mm. And you said that at the start of the show. We are motivated to achieve or we're motivated to avoid, avoid failure. Yeah. And we have to turn it around and be mindful of working to achieve. But then we have to, we have to realize competence. We're, we're, we're good at stuff. We're competent. We have to help other people feel competent because that drives our self-motivation. When we believe we're good at stuff that's worthwhile, and matter of fact, sometimes we're not told enough that we are good at something. Right. And that, that gets back into recognizing people. We give far more negative consequences to people, far more. In fact, the word feedback has negative connotations. Yep. If somebody walks up, hey, can I, can I give you some feedback? What do you expect? <laughs> uh, you expect someone sure. to, yeah, right. going to correct you. That's so bad. Yeah, give me some feedback, man. What did I do well? Yeah, feedback. tell me how I nailed it. There you right. go. You hit a home run. That's, we need more of that. We need more of that. The, the, the researcher says at least four to one. Yeah. Four, to, four positive to one negative, because we're going to remember the negative more, and it's about, so that's competence. And then we also mentioned in the earlier segment, choice, the power of choice. Mm. And the, the next word that really is relevant is community, the power of social support. You know, optimists are happier than pessimists. Mm. Extroverts are happier than introverts. Why? Because these people are more likely to interact with other people. Now, just because I, I'm on, I, I border on introvert, but too. I've learned, my wife is an extrovert, I've learned to be more interactive. And it, once I get to talking to someone, then it becomes fun. But it's, it's that first step. It's that first step. So we have to kind of just train ourselves, talk to ourselves about the value of interacting with other people. Hmm. You know, BYU just came out with a study uh, about the fact that being socially isolated or even just lonely, whether you're just isolated or actually feeling lonely, is the equivalent health-wise of smoking about 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah, that's, you, well, I've, yeah. It takes well, years I've, off your life, which is why you need community. You need, exactly but then, like you brought up an interesting point because if you're kind of born a little more introverted and you tend to be a little more socially quiet, um, then it brings up you got to have some competency. You might need to learn like skills, like you were talking about, to be a little yes. bit more socially yes. out there. I mean, you might yes. take some education, some skills. Yes, and but a lot of it is it is a, it is a propensity. It is a 
it is a disposition that mm-hmm. we were born with. And I, I was all my life, man, I, young life, I was shy. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn the value of, of reaching out and interacting and, and being happier through that. I, I want to mention one more thing, by yeah. the way. You mentioned our website. We have another website, and it's called ac4ppolicing.org. Org. Hmm. And we have started, we have taken this whole concept we're discussing here today to police officers. I mean, can you imagine oh, how wow. valuable and important this is? Where police officers, police officers are practicing, we've just started this, but it's happening in Virginia, it's happening in Arizona, it's happening in Florida, where police departments are purchasing these wristbands. You can get them at the website. They're purchasing the wristbands, and then they are wearing them as, as, a, as a supporter of the AC4P movement. And when they see behavior indica- among the citizens they serve, if they see positive, caring behavior, they give them the wristband, and they share the hmm, story at, a great on, idea. on their website. They have their own website. So they go to the website and report their story, and, it, and it's spreading. And for me... Isn't it not the case that we need to have a more positive mindset about yeah, police officers? Absolutely. The, the, news, the news tells us all about these negative things. And we can, there's far more positive stories. I asked my students the other day, tell me a story about an interaction with a police officer. And believe it or not, most of the stories were something positive. But that, I mean, how this police officer helped them, did this for them. So, but. The world doesn't see it that way, you know. The world sees it as law enforcement, click it or ticket. Right. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying there's another side to serving the community. And, and this, this, this AC4P policing is what it's all about, and we've got a training manual. So we would actually go to a police department and teach them some of these basic principles. I mean, let's face it, you just don't tell people do this. There is a philosophy right. behind all this. I have a book called Actively Caring for People. Um, it's in its fourth edition, and you can see it on Amazon. And that, that teaches the principles behind this. What's, what's important to know is this is not just somebody's common sense. Hmm. This is, is backed by research. Everything we've been talking here today yeah. is backed by research. It might sound like common sense because we've all been there. Well, it's what Grandma used to teach. But but the reality is grandma got it because it produces results and it makes people happier. That's why she, you know, would be so positive and talk about it. It's this is what I think is fascinating too, is you're not just you're not you're wanting the stories, but the stories make up our reality, right? So if we keep telling the negative stories and how bad the cop was that pulled you over, then that is the only story we we know and keep spreading. You're you want to get more stories out there. That is so per- that is so well done, well said. Yeah, and we want the stories are being posted on the website. And you go to that website, ac4p.org, you'll see the stories. Hmm. And you'll see that people have written. And all of a sudden, wow, it's not such a negative world that I thought it was, you know. Right. And let's face it with, it, with the news coming out these days, we're, it, it feels like a negative world. I it, mean, But you see it again, like you brought up with France. I mean, the minute there's... I have never seen more love of France in my life, quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do you remember how yeah. mad we were about freedom fries and French fries because the French weren't? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of that stuff. Now we love France, but it took a disaster to to yeah. cause it. And you're saying 
as humans, you, you can create motivation by just paying attention and focusing on the right things, choosing the things that are going to produce better results. Choose them. Yeah, but you, yes, and but that what you just said requires some really one-to-one, face-to-face conversations. Mm. Yet we're so into our Twitter and our email and our Facebook that that's that's efficient conversation, but it's not that effective. Mm. And so what sometimes we lose is the emotional part of conversations, and we don't see the, the caring. Um, body language, for example. So we're, we're missing out on some of that that emotional element of of human dynamics. Yeah. As we uh, we've got a couple more minutes here, Scott. Talk to me about. So we've got we've got to focus on consequences and competence and choice and community. We've got to work on our seeing. We've got to work on our actions. Um, if you had to kind of focus, and, and again, you were also saying we've got to make sure it's not just focused on how it impacts me, but how I can change others and impact and help others. Uh, what, what would you say would be the fastest thing that any of the listeners could do today to immediately go test this and immediately go feel a greater sense of self, a greater sense of other, and, and more motivation in their life? <laughs> wow. You're, you're asking for a silver bullet. Uh-huh. I want the silver bullet and you, got, you only get one. <laughs> Good well, luck. If I if you if you had to tell me what what to do, what one's one thing to do? Yeah. Go out when you go out when you're walking in the street or walking look for a kind act. Look for something that somebody is doing that even if it's holding a door open. My students on this campus when they cross the street in the pedestrian crosswalk and those cars has stopped for them do you know that rarely will they turn and thank the driver mm. for stopping? And I am on them all, every day in my classes. Just, just say thank you. Just, just be nice. Now, if we observe that, if you see somebody doing that, try thanking them. So I guess my, my, be, a, be, a, be, be an observer of actively caring for people behavior. And when you see it, say something. Hmm. And thus we might promote a culture of compassion and understanding and actively caring. And one, one more thing. I know yeah. you only want no, That's one, good. You can in, have to. In that regard, I want us to be more humanistic, which means I want us to have empathy for the other person's position. Um, Abraham Lincoln said years ago, perhaps you know this, he said, do not blame them, for you might do the same thing if you were in their situation. Hmm. That's tough, man. Yeah. That's tough to kind of put put your shoes, be, stand in their shoes, yeah. in their boots. And, and then what would you do? So I suggest that empathy is key. And you can't have empathy with email or with Twitter. You have empathy yeah. by watching somebody. And secondly, look out for actively caring for people's behavior. And maybe if you're looking out for actively caring behavior, it makes you more of a humanist. It does. It converts and, you to humanism. And and think of self-transcendence, mm. the top of that. And by the way, you don't have to do all these other things to get to the top. Notice, you know, um, Gandhi didn't. Yeah, Mother right. Teresa didn't. So you can, you're at the top. When you reach out and help somebody, all of a sudden that can increase your self-esteem, mm. your sense of belonging. So it feeds the other needs in that hierarchy. So you can jump right to the top. 
be kind, show kindness, and all of a sudden, you all of a sudden feed your own need for self-esteem, yeah. for self-actualization, for belonging. It's amazing. I think that's, that's probably the key. And then again, when you see somebody else showing an act of kindness, say something. And by the way, if you do look for that, you might realize to yourself, well, I could have done that. Yeah. Look at that person helping that individual across the street, or I, I could have done that. I missed my opportunity. Mm-hmm. So when we become more aware of what other people do on behalf of other people, the healthy over the selfie, we might then realize, gee, I could have done that. Yeah. And that's, that's a self-awareness that you, you just, you can't, we can't miss. We that's have to it. become more self-aware of how we can reach out and help others. Excellent. Dr. Scott Geller, thank you. And uh, good luck on this, this journey, this goal to, to change the world. Uh, the website again, remember, everybody listen, write this down, ac4p.org, ac Number four, P.org, actively caring for people. And go look up uh, Dr. Scott Geller. We will be posting his, uh, his uh, what's it called? His uh, TED Talk on our Twitter page, at Dr. Mass Show. you got to check that out, too. He's a dynamic man with tons of wonderful ideas. We appreciate it. We'll take a break, my friends. Stick with this, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting interview with Dr. Scott Geller. Um, really, to, to know that one of the great motivators is simply helping other people, I mean, that's, that's huge information. Let me give you, uh, as we wrap up this second hour of the show, 12 signs you've done well in life. Here are 12 signs um, by, um, on a, from a blog on Huffington Post Healthy Living. By Mo Situbtum. That's an interesting name. Mo Situbtum, founder of the Happiness Planner. Um, Listen to these 12 things, 12 signs you've done well in life. Sign number one, you feel proud of yourself. So think about your life. Do you feel proud? You feel proud of what you're getting done and everything that's that's going on in your life. Life is about uh, 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react to it. Uh, That's a quote by Charles Swindle. First sign is that you've done well in life is you should feel proud of what you're getting done, your journey and and the things you're accomplishing. Number two, you feel happy with where you are and where you're headed. You're okay with where you are now. So before you were okay with what you've done, you're okay with where you are now and you're okay with where you're going. You have maybe a a vision, a plan for where you want to go. Another sign that that, uh, you've done well in life is you are better than you were yesterday, last week, and last year. You see that your life is improving. Now, not everything can probably be improving all of the time, but your most important goals are starting to happen. Number four, your relationship with your family has improved. I uh, call relationships the canary, right, in the mind shaft. Um, the canary will tell us the health of the relationship, the health of the mind, and um, so true is our relationships. If your relationships are doing well, it's a pretty good sign that your life is on the right track. You're passionate about your job, your hobbies, and your life. Do you feel passion in your life? 
actually excited to get to work, to get stuff done. You live in the present is another sign that uh, you are uh, doing well in life. You actually like living in the present in your life. John Lennon said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Another quote uh, from this article, you know, or another uh, number seven, you know who your true friends are. A sign that you're doing well is you know who your true friends are. You have friends. And that's probably a, a huge sign. Number eight, you realize that you've become more non-judgmental and open-minded over the years. The healthier you're becoming, the less you have to hold on to, you know, forced conditions for who you can talk to, who needs to be what. You don't need to be closed-minded in order to be healthy. Number nine, you know how to manage your emotional well-being as well as your mental well-being. You have emotional intelligence. Number 10, you do things that are good for you, uh, yourself, your body, and your mind. You take care of yourself. Number 11 sign, the 11th sign uh, that you're doing well in life. You don't regret anything you've done because life is about moving forward, not backward. I mean, you still, I don't buy that. At some point, you got to have some regret once in a while. But you also get it. It was learning. You were inexperienced. And number 12, you feel thankful and excited about life and the future. 12 signs, folks, uh, from the Huffington Post Healthy Living blog. Uh, Interesting stuff. 12 signs you've done well in life. We're going to take a break. Come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you feel good about life and your family and your relationships. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Top of the morning to you. This is the show where we give you the information, the insight, the tools you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning. Holy cow. Is it? It's Tuesday. It's only Tuesday. Does it not feel like Thursday? It's Tuesday, folks. And it's also Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday is the, you know, the charitable answer to Cyber Monday, Sacred Sunday, Football Saturday, and Black Friday. Again, a couple of those I made up, but we seem to make up a lot on this show. So why? Just... There's really no pushback, so. No. I mean, till I hear complaints, <laughs> I'm going to keep making updates. It's also Eat a Red Apple Day. We didn't make that one up. You know, you need to eat more red apples. Like, there's Ben eating one. Oh, man. You know what's neat about how Ben eats an apple? It's the, it's the slurping mm-hmm. sound is so bad. Ben likes to get a lot of oxygen into his food. Well, the juice comes out. I need to slurp up the juice. Is that what you're doing? Yep. Wow. That's so bad. Yep. I... <laughs> Yesterday, we were talking about how Ben doesn't date. Yes. I think we know why. Well, chew with your mouth open. Well, I mean, if they go to if they go just go out to eat, he's lost the date. Oh, yeah. Right then. You should have them sit next to you. Mm-hmm. Then they have to look directly into your face as you eat. Well, I need to show off that I eat, like, what is it, <clears throat> 100% more oh, right. pizza we ha- than 
We had that study yeah, where men tend to eat more when well, they're with a woman. So she needs to see that I'm eating you know, more ben, pizza. Ben, maybe, maybe – Well, not see it. Maybe that's – well, she can hear it a mile well, away. <laughs> she can hear it. She can see the, the pizza disappearing. But maybe maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe that's a statistic just for like the average people. But you're not, not, you're not average. You're, bu- you're above it. You're super you're, – yeah. But I'm thinking maybe you ought to just don't eat on a date. Save that one till you're like seriously engaged, married maybe. Save it. Maybe just chew gum then. No, no, no. Just a mint. Just place a mint in your mouth. You'd be surprised it sounds like you make with a mint. <laughs> Actually, you're probably right. Did you hear about this woman? The, drones, are you kidding me? When does this end? So a woman now is forced to pay damages after throwing rocks at a neighbor's drone. No, that's not what happened. But go on, Matt. That, that's a, a big rock. <laughs> um, a Pennsylvania court ruled that a woman must pay damages after throwing rocks at her neighbor's drone in August. 65-year-old Martina Wolodarski of Springville, Pennsylvania, agreed to pay 600 bucks. After damaging her neighbor Mark Shock's drone while it flew across her driveway, so what? People can just fly across your driveway. Yeah, I I don't know. There's there's laws of privacy and there's laws of personal uh, property here that are involved. So she's trying to protect she, her own, and she didn't have a choice. Her. She she heard this sound like a weed eater. Yeah, her description's funny. Or something coming at me at eye level. I didn't have a choice. No one told me it was under control. So I took it out. There was this lawnmower. It was flying. So I threw a rock at it. Uh, Mark Shock said the damage caused the drone to become an out-of-control three-and-a-half-pound flying lawnmower. Mm. I mean, that's bad. We're going to need some. We're going to need some laws about drones. We have just looking this up here on Thursday. Our 715 guests, 915 Eastern on Thursday, Yeah, we will have two professors who are currently teaching a class on drone ethics. Drone law, drone ethics, drone ethics. As the FAA is trying to get everyone to uh, self-report, I guess, if yeah. you own a drone and license yourself. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, come yeah. come to the government. Tell us right. you have stuff. Uh, the, they're, they're teaching this class on drone ethics and exactly what that means in a, in a society as we're flying these things around. Amazon yeah. just the other day unveiled their drones that they want to use for oh, delivery service. I didn't service. see them. I wonder what that – they, are they – They are look they, like a drone probably. Are they like but lawnmowers? They're, they're bigger though because they have to carry yeah. heavier payloads so they right. have to be – Quite large. Where so do you want this fridge? They might look like a flying lawnmower. So that's crazy. So this we'll is, talk about that on Thursday. Okay, that's cool. Thursday yeah. morning. See, we're on top of it. We like to, on the show, bring you the latest and greatest experts with the problems you're having. Like, for example, did you hear about the mask-wearing uh, guy that was not robbing a Vero Beach store? He was not robbing a store. No. But he had a ski mask and black gloves on. Right. Have you seen the commercial? There's a TV commercial. Or a guy's in a convenience store and he's with his friends and he's looking around like everyone's like really scared and taking offensive positions and like yeah, freaking out. And he's, he lifts his ski mask up and goes, what's the problem? What's what is on? the big deal? <laughs> uh, according to an Indian River County Sheriff's deputy, about 315, a mask-wearing man was arrested after he did not rob a store. 
But, you know, we're trying to give you some help and some advice here. Dispatchers reported a Walgreens worker said a man was in the store and was wearing a mask and black gloves. When a deputy arrived, he saw a man with black gloves and a mask on top of his head by the cash register. He told the man I was identified as Kyle Seaman, 29, to go outside and take the mask off. A delivery driver told investigators he was outside and the man came up wearing gloves and a mask and he had his hand in his shirt making it look like a weapon. Hmm. But he didn't rob anybody. No. He's just, what? Can it, what? Can a guy not wear a mask? <laughs> I was just scratching my belly. What's happening to this country? Man. Why does everyone think I'm going to rob the place wearing the mask? Seaman is quoted as asking. You know, it might be because there's a really long history of people robbing stores with a mask. You know, again, it seems obvious. So uh, probably better if you're – it's getting into the colder months. Yep. If you're going to wear one yep. of those ski masks that covers your entire you face. You can wear one. Remove it before you enter the building. Right. Just to keep people at ease. Because yeah. you walk in the door with that on, people might get a hey, little freaked out. Another tip from the Matt Townsend Show. Don't point your finger through your shirt like it's a gun. That's good. While wearing a mask and black ski gloves. Don't do that. I think the last time I saw someone do that was on the Flintstones. <laughs> How'd it go for him? Uh, I think they people thought he had a gun, See? and I think Fred may have clobbered him. boy, Because that's what Fred does. By the way, he was not arrested for robbery. He was arrested on misdemeanor wearing a mask charges, a hood, or other device on public property. Huh. That's so, a misdemeanor. They'll get you one way or another. We're yes. just trying to help you. Sounds like it. Uh, anything else going on around the world in the news? There is. Former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani confirmed that some in Brooklyn and Queens celebrated the September 11th attacks, but said the numbers were nowhere near the thousands claimed by Donald Trump. So the police department set up a unit, and we kept track of it uh, for about three or four weeks. And we had some attacks, and we did have some celebrating. That, that is true. We had pockets of celebration. Six um, people. Some in Queens, some in Brooklyn. How many people? 10, 12, 30, 40. Baker's dozen. Giuliani, on, this was on CNN. He stopped short of calling Trump a liar. He says, I think what he's doing is exaggerating. Yeah, that's Giuliani good. did relate an incident where an incident where some uh, Muslim people owned a candy store. They were celebrating yeah. after the towers came down and the neighborhood kids beat them up. Oh, boy. So he said, well, the kids took care of it. So we just kind of cleaned up afterwards. <laughs> Was he wearing a mask? Could have been. The president of one Oklahoma university wants his students to know that despite recent campus protests around the nation, his school is not a daycare, nor is it a safe space. Following complaints in a recent campus speaker made uh, that a, uh, on uh, comments that a recent campus speaker made, a student made him feel uncomfortable. Oklahoma Wesleyan University President Everett Piper wrote a blog post condemning a self-absorbed and narcissistic culture. If you want the chaplain to tell you you're a victim rather than to tell you you need virtue, this may not be the university you're looking for, he wrote of the private evangelical school. Oklahoma Wesleyan is not a safe place, but rather a place to learn, to learn that life isn't about you, it's about others. He continued, this is not a daycare, this is a university. Mm. We'll see how that goes. Wow. As he throws. Not a daycare. That's lots of microaggressions, I guess, yeah. could be 
applied there. The White House on Monday unveiled changes to a visa waiver program to strengthen screening efforts for travelers from 38 nations who are not required to apply for visas before entering the United States. The changes are a part of a national security effort to crack down on potential militants entering the U.S. in a wake of the deadly Paris attacks that left 130 people dead. The enhancements include more stringent screenings such as potential finding airlines that fail to verify passenger identities, increased information sharing between countries, requiring all travel to use passports with embedded security chips and expanding a pre-clearance program. There are, as it says, 38 nations where uh, one of them would be uh, Great Britain, yeah. United Kingdom. They yeah. can come right into our nation without, they without just sneak right in. visas. And if you are a – you come, and part of the system, they'll look to see if you travel to a terrorist-friendly country – then you go to one of these these countries that you can get into our our country without a visa. So just making sure your travels don't look like you're uh, a yeah. sleeper cell waiting to happen. So Bernie Sanders underwent an elective outpatient hernia repair Monday in Washington D.C. His spokesman said that the Democratic presidential hopeful plans to get back to work today, and the campaign says it was a scheduled outpatient surgery. It's not a big deal. Got his hernia fixed. Did he use mesh or? <laughs> It's none of your business. I'm done talking about my hernia. It was outpatient. He's fine. (laughs) Uh, When the Electronic Communications Privacy Act called the ECPA passed in 1986, Congress figured Americans couldn't afford the digital storage to retain thousands upon thousands of emails, wrote wrote a woman with 46,000 emails, conversations, filling 16 gigabytes of her Gmail account. Wow. It says thanks to the dated assumptions of the ECPA and the government isn't required it the government is not required to get a warrant to search emails more than six months old. Hmm. Current really? law after after six months they can get into your email and just look around. <laughs> la, 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 la. But new poll results find that Americans want Fourth Amendment protection for all their online communications. Some seventy seven percent of registered voters said a warrant should be required for law enforcement to view any emails, photos, and other private communications stored online. Eighty six percent said the, the law, the ECPA, was due for an update after learning how it currently functions. Wow. <laughs> Seriously. So the laws on the books allow for after six months, any of your email, electronic communications, whatever, can be looked at without a warrant. We're just finding this out now. Yeah. We need to update our laws to reflect the current state of technology. What in the world have the media been doing? Yeah. Let us in on the secrets. Crazy stuff. Hey, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, our contributor, Julie K. Nelson, will be joining us from a spoonful of parenting.com. She's going to be talking to us about your children. You know, the holidays are coming up and parenting through the holidays. Sometimes that's a difficult task. You know, sometimes you got to set the right expectations, manage uh, some of their expectations about what they're going to be getting, the gifts they're going to be giving. Interesting stuff. Parenting issues abound during the holiday season so stick with us we've got the parenting guru here julie k nelson will be joining us we'll be right back this is the matt townsend show Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us, Julie K. Nelson from a spoonful of parenting.com. You got to go check out the website. She's the author of two books, Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. 
which would make very good gifts this holiday season, parents or By people the way, who know parents. Plungers would be great gifts yeah. as well. And you could you could a plunger and the book. The plunger and the book together. That then is you a would great... solve two problems. Yeah. Yes. You're at once. here, Julie, yeah. by the way, teaches classes uh, on applied parenting, marriage and family relationships, skills, tools, building, everything you need to know, family at Utah Valley University. Yes, it's a great university. I love it there. We're proud of you. You are killing it there. Love it there. Good um, students. Today you're going to be talking about the kids and the gimmies. Some of these kids, get yeah. they all want gimme, 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 mm-hmm. gimme, gimme. I have that with Ben. Ben <laughs> just always wants more. Yeah, never enough. Never enough. Uh-huh. It's always about Ben. <laughs> so are you going to share those chocolates with me? What chocolates? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Gimme, gimme, right, Matt? Yep. Yeah. I no. brought I brought Matt some chocolates this morning and he's not sharing with Ben because he's got the gimmies. I've got the gimmies. I've got the keepies. <laughs> They're mine. They have my name on it. Yeah, that's right. Actually, she says the gang of the Matt Townsend show. So that includes Ben. I'm going to tear that take part the, off. Take the gang part off of the I'll tag. Just tear that right off. Yeah. No, I'll leave it um, thanks for bringing me a gift. Hey, you're welcome. I feel like I I don't have a gift. It's a Christmas you. gift, you know, and we are here. Uh, it's this, early. This, yeah, this, it's this early. Is this, the season's upon us. Yeah. I mean, look at the commercials on TV and go to the stores, and they're going to foist the holidays upon you. That's the problem. And then the kids watch it, and they're mm-hmm. like, I need a hoverboard or whatever they call those things that – those kids ride nowadays. Yeah, have you yeah. seen those? Yes. I have students that come to class on those things. Are you serious? Uh-huh. How? What is happening to yeah. this world? Mm-hmm. So it's normal for kids to want. Yeah. They see, you know, we're really connected with, you know, with media and yeah. with others and they see what's out there and the possibilities are endless. Oh, yeah. And, and you're loaded. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. My kids think I'm a billionaire <laughs> because I try not to tell them how much I make. So I've decided to just... Tell them what I make. I mean, exaggerate under. I'm going to undersell under. it. Yeah, we we live off twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, folks. Mm-hmm. but we steal that. <laughs> so so, how do you get your kids to not be to be so selfish? Well, parents make some mistakes this time of year, and I, I would assume you know throughout the year these things kind of creep in. But I wanted to share five mistakes that parents make. Okay, what not to do? I mean, other parents, not I mean, us. Of course, not us. Other no, parents. No, we never make mistakes. Right. Um, and so the first one is, and something that I've really found that's helpful raising my five children, was that I never asked them what do they want for Christmas and never had them sit down and make a wish list. I never understood that concept of yeah. write Santa a letter and ask him for all the things you want. That sets up the expectation oh. that you're going to get these things. Uh-huh. And then they'll always be disappointed because they're never going to get everything. That is so true. So why ask them to put a list down? Why don't you just make a list and hand it to them? How about if you get this? <laughs> yeah. Here, you're going to get socks and there's no surprise. No. I just – I don't ever have them focus on what is – what I want. And so I just watch throughout the year and see what they need. And if it's something they can wait for, then I'll say that might be a good Christmas le- you know, cr- present for you. Throughout the year, I'll be making my own mental notes or on my phone. I'll have a list. But I don't ever ask them to sit down and make a list because that just sets up the – reinforces expectations. It's totally, and, and most of this is expectation management, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So I like to ask instead, what are your favorite – things to do at Christmas time. What are your favorite traditions and things we do as a family and have them make a list of those things. That's cool. Uh, we love caroling. We love cookie decoration. We love go visiting the, the people and singing mm-hmm. at the... at the. We like Black Friday. Home. We like the, <laughs> the beat down at Black Friday. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, so reinforce the traditions and then go off that list instead. That's, That's what creates advice. the memories, not, yeah. not the no, toys. Exactly. And I also ask, instead of what do you want to get for Christmas, what do you want to give for Christmas? Mm. So we focus on others. 
I have a little advent calendar that we put up on the door with these little pockets that are empty, and I put a candy cane in each one, and each child had a different day. They got the candy cane for that day of the week, or for that day um, of the month, and then with that pocket, in that pocket, was a little slip of paper, and the paper said something to do for someone else. Oh, great. And they couldn't eat the candy until mm-hmm. they'd done that act of service. So there's lots of things you can do. You can you can go to a family need and be Santa's helpers and, you know, do, join all those organizations that do nice things for buying gifts yeah. for, for others. And, um, you know. That list thing, it, it's amazing how many things fly off of that just having the list. Yeah, just what, of what you, you want. What, it's so inwardly focused. Yeah, so to, so list of what can we do for others. That's and, so great. And some families even adopt the, of, of what, for every toy that you um, uh, will get at Christmas time, they're going to give up a toy. So it's one for one exchange. So you don't end up with a house full of, of right. junk. Yeah, that drives um, me crazy. So what do you want to give for Christmas this year to others? Is That's it great. One? Next one is not be don't be afraid to say no. Um, you know, your fr- your kids are going to say, "All my friends have one," or "I've yeah. seen this." No, I really want that. Can I have some nunchuck nunchucks? No, no, you can't. <laughs> can I have a hoverboard. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so you can say something like, "You know, everyone else has one." Yes, but in our family, it's okay to say, "In our family, we don't have iPads for every child. We share the iPad we've got." Yeah. And we're saving our money for that summer vacation we're going to have instead. So in our family, this is what we value. These are our priorities, and don't succumb to seven-year-old peer pressure. That's... You know. <laughs> And your kids know how to do that, right? Yeah. Like Johnny's mom loves him. <laughs> so you know, don't don't give the guilt trip going, and yeah. and and just have your own. This is what our family loves to do, and also for young children, they don't know what value of money is you know they don't understand what's affordable for you so you can say this is the dollar limit you get one present from mom and dad this is what you you know can look at in the store today and don't go above that if they can't if it's too much then say sorry that's above our budget what else can you i like that you have a budget idea because if you don't have a budget Mm -hmm. it just keeps going yeah like how do you know you're done yeah and and when you get older kids, it just gets worse because oh. the presents are more and more it's, expensive. It's like one thing. Yeah. yeah. I get one thing. Yeah. You're lucky That's, you got and, that. And it's a lot of money. And so you even don't even have to succumb to that. You can say, no, not this year. That's right. a little bit too much. Or what sometimes I've even done is if it's something that's legitimate but it's really expensive because teenagers are expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll say I'll meet you halfway. You know, if you earn the money until Christmas and you put money towards that, I'll meet you halfway and pay half of that. That's great. And then, then they're going to value that present a lot more because they, they did a little bit. Plus, you could time. have Santa do half. Mm-hmm. Or look at look at used. I mean, there's a lot of things you can go yeah. on where it's it's secondhand and it's still just fine. And teach them frugality and oh, how yeah. to value what they've got. Our Santa, uh, when our kids were young, um, Santa would bring games that were, had already been used. <laughs> or puzzles with a piece missing. Yeah. <laughs> Like he he would it was weird, but because there's video game stores where you could get games that had already been used. Yeah, yeah. I've done that. And Santa was very frugal that way. I've done that quite a few years. Is when we would have games, we'd go to the the recycle store, and they were just fine. You know, they work. They work just fine. I mean, sure they're a little sticky. Sure, they got a little jam on them. No, but nothing ever. No, but there's ways to show them how to say no to themselves, which is a very, yeah. very important trait to teach children growing up. Let's um, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Julie K. Nelson from a spoonful of parenting.com. Again, two great books, Christmas stocking stuffers, Parenting with Spiritual Power, Keeping It Real, or Keep It Real, and Grab a Plunger. Twenty five tips for surviving parenthood with Julie K. Nelson. We're coming back. We'll uh, teach you more tools and skills to avoid the gimmies with your kids. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
back, friends. Uh, joining us, Julie K. Nelson from the website a spoonful of parenting.com. And uh, she's here. She's our parenting expert, our mom bomb. And she's walking us through how to make sure you your kids don't get the gimmies. Gimme, 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 gimme around Christmas time. Uh, she's given us a couple of great techniques already. Don't don't start with a list. Mm-hmm. The minute you're making a list, you're setting the expectation that you're going to get these things. Yeah, it's an in- inward focus. Just pay attention yeah. to what your kids might want. Yeah. And the, the next thing is... Don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to say no. Or meet them halfway or, or go, you know... Be creative. Yeah, be creative. You don't... I mean, you can say no. Some things we just don't do. Mm-hmm. We, we're not... We don't do that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What are some more and techniques? give them a price limit. Another one is um, really try to avoid watching commercials on TV and getting those toy catalogs. Man, oh. I swear they were developed by Satan's minions. Oh, yeah, they are. They are. They are just That's his... actually called marketing. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> the playground of Satan. <laughs> yes. Uh, because they just suck you in. And the they kids do. see every possibility and they want, want, mm-hmm. want. And so it's just it's just bad at Christmas time. So, and you don't want them yeah. to be depressed on Christmas because – you didn't get them what they wanted. Yeah, plus you see these happy little uh, children prancing around on TV, and that's how you feel that that they're going to react when right. they get their gifts. And sometimes they look at it and go, oh, I, I wanted the blue one. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then Christmas is ruined because they didn't have the happy yeah. little uh, you know, uh, reaction that the child did on TV when they got their gift. Isn't and, that true? Gosh. You haven't, so, you haven't lived till you've really disappointed a child on Christmas. And then it just ruins your own because you <laughs> spent your time, your hard-earned money and for this gift and then they look at you and go, is that it? That's, that's it? I wanted the blue one. Have you ever done this one where uh, Santa brought everything but forgot batteries? <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden we all just sit there and look at it. It's, it fun, it's fun when it moves. I get so mad at Santa. So it's okay to, like, you know, if you do watch TVs, to kind of be real with it and say, you know what? That actress is a girl who's paid to smile. Mm-hmm. And she makes you think that you'll only be happy if you get that doll. But is that true? Mm-hmm. My, you know what my kids learned very young? Uh-huh. She's just paintbrushed. Yeah. She's not even real. She's photoshopped. And she's and she's getting paid. She's getting money because the company wants you to buy that, and she's only yeah. getting money if you go and get that. So you're making her rich. That's a great question. Like, do you think so? If you went to that child's room today, uh-huh. do you think that that toy is still there, and do you think they still play with it? No. Yeah, that's just all. It's all fake kids. That's interesting. So you know, also limit walking around the malls and stores with your kids because they're going to just window shop themselves yeah. to death. And it's really hard to say no to a child who's having a temper tantrum or using guilt trips at Toys R Us. But it kind of goes to your number one point. Um, if you're out giving mm-hmm. and serving, you're going to have less time being marketed to. Yeah. So don't don't take them to the shopping carts all through the mall endlessly looking for stuff. I just watch throughout the year what they need, and then they're surprised at Christmas. Um, and I, th- this goes to the next point, too. Point number four is don't make presents the center of your Christmas. Mm. Um, you know, out, out there shopping, 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 you're telling your kids what you're prioritizing is, is, is commercialism. But spend the center of your Christmas thinking about your traditions and your holidays. And, again, making those lists of what do you love to do together. And spend time doing that. Cookie decorating, caroling, right. going seeing the lights. That's the list you should be making of what we'll do every day during Christmas rather than let's shop for all this stuff. Um, you know, limit the presents and limit the, and make it a budget that we're only going to spend so much per, you know. This you know, the greatest budget. Christmas we ever had was we – Santa bought us tickets to go to London. Mm. It was, yeah, we wish he had just taken us. Yeah. But instead we took a flight. 
and everybody got a backpack and the young kids got some toys to play with on the plane and we all went to London for three weeks and because we had family over there. And it was the greatest – but there really wasn't a lot of presence. Yeah. It was about people and – Travel and being together and is powerful. Yeah, I have a fa- uh, this is extreme, but I have a neighbor who they've never over the last fifty years ever had Christmas with presents. They the entire family goes down to Mossetlawn and goes down and does service. I know that people down there. You don't. That's amazing. Yeah, and they have a whole RV park that mm-hmm. they they do the whole family and on the beach, and they would not give up for the world because and that is what just, Christmas is. That's is to it. Be, being together as a family and no presents are involved. Oh, I love it's that. doing things for others. Yeah. They go down and help in the orphanage. They do a community service mm-hmm. project yeah. down there. Yeah. I mean, I'm jealous of that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And so think about what traditions matter most to your family and, and emphasize that. I also do the Secret Santa thing among my si- the siblings of my, my children where they draw a name of a sibling and do acts of service throughout the month for I that love child. That. And then on Christmas morning, they open up a box with the name of the child who was their Secret Santa. That's and cool. that's your focus rather mm-hmm. than presents. So really emphasize what is your centerpiece of the holiday and make it be, you know, those traditions. Yeah. And the last one I want to emphasize is also just the being a gracious receiver. Um, it's not about, well, is that it? <laughs> I want the blue one. Help them to learn how to receive gifts and be generous with their We're gra- not. Gratitude. Some of us aren't very good at that, the yeah. receiving thing. So I really have to even train my kids of how to get up and give the person a hug if they're there in person and say thank you, you know, sincerely. Even if they hate it, I say fake yeah. it. Fake hug, it. Hug, hug your sister. F- fake it. With your grandma, <laughs> if she gave you something you yeah. hate, you just smile and say thank you so much, grandma, with a big fake smile on your face. That's because so being true. a gracious receiver is is a really great gift to yourself and to your kids. Well, there are people that say, I, I love to give gifts, but I don't like to receive them. Mm-hmm. They need to learn to receive. I see it in marriages. Some people can't receive a compliment. Yeah. They can't receive positive feedback. So my, my son had two birthdays that he went to in the last couple of months and gave pretty much similar gifts. One of them, the reaction was not generous. It was like, well, what's this all about kind of idea. Yeah. And he just went to another one, gave the same gift, and that boy is still talking about how awesome that gift is. That's cool. He came to me this morning and said, Mom, he loved the gift. And that <laughs> meant so much to my son, the receiving of knowing how much joy that, that boy had. Yeah. In. He goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with this and this with this. Te- teach your children how to receive it with joy because the giver, that's, that's where they get all of the, you know, yeah. the benefit of the effort of buying that gift. You know, they, they, they spend some time and some money. And teach them how to say thank you. I have a friend, a neighbor who even, this is kind of extreme as well, but she won't let her kids play with the toy until they've written a thank you note to the giver. To really uh, emphasize it's the appreciation, not just the gimme, gimme, let me play with it right now. Thanks, (laughs) Jimmy. So they have to sit down and write a thoughtful thank you note. That's, that's the emphasis, and that's and that's what they emphasize. Rather than let me just play with this right now. Well, that's the deal too. Is we sometimes the, it's about the present. It's not about the people and the connection. So, I mean, that even happens with Santa because we always make sure that Santa gives a lot of the gifts. But he, we always make sure as parents we give gifts mm-hmm. because make sure you're talking to me. Yeah. And, you know, if your kids are, are believers of Santa, why not write thank, a thank you note to Santa? Who thanks Who Santa? Who thanks Santa? Not, Mrs. Claus doesn't even right. thank Santa. I know. Thank her for all the cookies and hot chocolate totally. and everything. And, you know, that she gives and to And the him. stablemen that take care of the deer. <laughs> They're called elves. 
Sorry. <laughs> stable, the stable elves. Stable men. Yeah, they're called I don't know elves. what you call. You know, but, but yeah. even if you don't have them do the thank you note before they play at the toy, you can still, you need to either thank them in person or write thank you notes That's at some great point. That's um, And do it sincerely so they really understand what it takes to be a giver and a receiver. You, so you just can't send a text? No. Ugh. Handwritten. Yeah. Or I'll, sometimes I'll cheat and I'll take a picture of the child holding the thing and then we'll do an email and they'll write down what they're going to do with it and how much they appreciate it. That's or cool. if the parents, the grandparents give them money, I have them write down what I'm going to do with that money. What do you think about that? So that they say, I'm going to go get this grandma because I've been, I've been really wanting mm-hmm. this, this thing and I'm going to go get this. So they know what the money went towards um, because it's, it's knowing how it helped the child. Yeah. Not just thanks, thanks for the money. That's right. Well, I mean, that's the problem. with The minute it's just about a transaction of money. Mm-hmm. And you have you ever done that where like with your brothers and sisters, everybody just hands gift cards? Yeah. And we and in the end we all could have just kept our money <laughs> and actually bought what we wanted instead of a gift card yes. to somewhere we didn't I'm want not to into go. gift cards, but if grandparents bless their hearts, send a twenty dollar bill, I'm happy with that because then the child can get what they really want. Yeah. But I I have them write a thank you of what they did get with that money. So it becomes tangible rather than a monetary exchange. That's good. Yeah. Oh see? Yeah. It's like you've thought this through. You know, maybe, yeah. Plus you have five kids. Well, I've gone through a lot of Christmases. So what are you doing this Christmas? Well, this Christmas we just put up the decorations last night. Oh, yeah. But we always limit the, the, the gifts and the kids know it. Uh-huh. And they really don't – we don't talk about what you want to get so I much. I love that. We really don't. I just watch for what they need. And a lot of times it's just – I mean I stop – they're stocking with things they need like – you know, um, socks, underwear. I, I get them special a special shampoo that they like, yeah. or socks, or I give them a, a cool toothbrush with you know SpongeBob on it. You know, things that they normally don't get because I just get them the plain toothbrush. Yeah. And so they get things that are kind of extra special, but nothing like that's fabulous. Right. You know, that just sets the that that, that actually matters more because you actually paid attention. Yeah. To what you know what I'm getting, Ben? Don't tell him. What? An ice cream scooper. Why does he need that? Because he makes ice cream. He does. Yeah. It's weird. Does he have he an ice it. cream like maker thingy? Yeah, he's actually he thinks it's a business, oh. but nobody actually pays for it. Okay. He just gives it away for free, but he has a lot of friends. He hasn't given me any for free. He'll give you some. He's not my friend yet. Yeah, he'll give you some. Okay. Oh wait, what were you saying? Nothing. <laughs> oh okay. Was the audio too low? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, just check the audio next okay. time. Okay. Um, uh, her name is Julie K. Nelson. A spoonful of parenting. Happy holidays. Hey, thank you. Thanks for saving you us. You too, Matt. You Enjoy really the did. chocolates and, and I, I share. Will. Share. No, I will. And write me a thank you note. I will. In fact, I was just about to start it. <laughs> this is Julie K. Nelson. Um, okay. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, folks. Stick with us. Having tons of fun. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I have no idea why Ben's playing this music, but let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, do you know why they're playing that music? Why? Man? Tell me. I don't know. I was just asking. No, I, I have no idea. Say, I don't know why they're playing. So I don't I even know well. who's singing this music. It's just weird. Elvis Costello. Oh, Elvis Costello. Isn't he an ice skater? 
Anyway, no, that would be Elvis Stoico. Oh, what kind of sports do you think we cover here? I know. I, this is like I've totally lost you guys. Hey, by the way, happy Rosa Parks Day. Thank you. Is All that right, not symbolic? That is a really cool day. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Hey, uh, I got to tell you this story. Do you remember? You may one of you. I can't remember who was here. I talked about a marathon that ended up going like four miles longer. Were you both here? I was not I here was. for that. Okay. I was. So uh, th- there's an addition. Now, this is a whole different story. So, but there's a Pennsylvania teenager that actually made the wrong turn doing a half marathon, but ended up running the whole marathon. Oh no! By accident. <laughs> <laughs> he ran an extra. I hate when that happens. He ran an extra what thirteen miles. Um, he he ended up just taking the wrong turn, and then his family was so worried because he didn't show up. Oh. And about three hours later, two and a half hours later, he showed up, and he finished the marathon. But he got there, and he didn't. He ended up not having his picture taken. He didn't seem like a real entry because he was supposed to finish the the half marathon anyway. It just reminded me of you guys. Wow. Hmm. Because you don't ever do anything halfway. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jerem's yeah. a very honest person, Matt. He really is. Tell. He totally is. <laughs> so you you do halfway. a lot of things halfway. No, I don't normally engage in a project if I'm not going to. Yeah. If you're not going to knock it out of the park. All the way. Yeah. So if you took the wrong turn no, uh, on a half marathon. questions like, wait. I, I mean, you, you would think about, I don't know, by the time you have shin splints and you're going, you know, you're dying, you're dehydrating, you'd think, hey, I think I've run a too lot much? longer. I think I've run 13.1 miles too long. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't fall. I try it. not to go the extra mile in any situation. Man, my half marathon <laughs> is taking two hours longer than it should. Something's not right here. Yeah, I... I kind of question the uh, intellectual fervor associated with that moment of it's, how do you not know? How well, do you not know? Isn't it like okay. it's like the women that didn't know they were pregnant? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, that's there's odd. there's a point where you've got like gas and then there's another point where like something's moving in your belly. My stomach is getting really big. Holy cow. My weird. tummy feels funny. <laughs> Something just moved in my belly. For nine months. Everybody keeps asking me if I'm having a baby. (laughs) Are you pregnant? No. How rude of you. Oh, I am so bloated. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, as men, we have no idea what that moment's like, being asked if you're pregnant and you're not. That would be so embarrassing. I've been in a situation where my sister-in-law was asked that, and she wasn't. Oh. Even married. Oh. Yeah, really awkward. I thought, what? What's the equivalent for men? I don't like. Just don't even ask. No. Yeah. Don't First of ask. All, don't ever ask. If you're not sure, don't ask. Have Correct. you ever been asked though? Have you ever? Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, "Dude, do you have a hernia?" <laughs> uh, you, but I, I wouldn't be embarrassed <laughs> to be like, "No, I don't have a hernia." No, I don't have a hernia. It just pokes out there. <laughs> it's not a hernia. Leon. Hold on, is this oh, is this working? Yep. Is Sheila Line going to storm into the yep. no studio right now? It's just uh, it's not a hernia. Hold on, I made the joke. Yeah, we because, still don't know what the equivalent is. Um, one of our great politicians, uh, Bernie Sanders, had a hernia operation today. Boiny Sanders. Boiny. Boiny Sanders. Hey, uh, did you guys happen to see the Warriors Jazz game? No. 
I saw the end of the Warriors-Jazz game, and I was thoroughly entertained. Unbelievable. The Jazz almost pulled it off. I had no idea the Jazz had the number one defense in the NBA. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. Or the Stifle Tower, (laughs) as the Parisians call him, (laughs) is quite the the weapon for BYU. Or for you, uh, uh, Utah, Jazz. Utah Jazz, or for the Utah Jazz. Well, he'd be a great BYU weapon for BYU. Like during the World Cup, it was yeah BYU yeah, take BYU on is, Brazil. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> epic, man. It's Colombia. It's uh, the Warriors keep rolling. Uh, Nineteen wins. Yeah, yeah. The Warriors beat BYU. <laughs> yeah, barely. <laughs> Just barely. Hey, uh, um, yeah, I was excited. You, you guys, you're still going to do your show, though, right? I mean, now that BYU football's only got like one more game. One time, I just want to say no. Oh, like, I don't wait that day. Don't ever say that. We, no, are don't. Going, we always say yes because a you don't lie. Matt does more hours, yeah. than us, but we do more days. Mm-hmm. That's totally true. That's totally but true. Three, I'll take the days over the hours, though. Some people don't even think I do any days here. <laughs> they do know I do a show. Like but... you walk around the building and people are like, Who's Who are you? That Security! Oh, Security. I don't know. The guy that does the most hours a day of anything. Of anything. Right anything here. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah. But the, the thing is, is I can do my show sleeping. I mean, I have. Jerem has done our show sleeping before. Really? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that turned very quickly. No, right. he hasn't. Carry it out a little longer next Again, time. if Jerem shows no. up to work, he's here to he's work. He's here to work. He's here to I work, could, Listen, when I clock in, I go, Daddy's got to go to yeah, work. Yeah, clock in, baby. Earn that money. <laughs> Get that money. Who do you say that? Daddy's got to go to work when you're clocking <laughs> that, in. That's Daddy's re- got to earn that money. Is that the front that's desk guy? Fast and the Furious okay. 7. The oh. Rock's in a hospital. Yeah, I just saw that. His arm is in a cast. Yeah, and he breaks <laughs> Did you seriously? Yeah, I just, we just barely saw that yesterday. <laughs> and, and he, he says to, to his daughter, Daddy's got to go to work. And then he just flexes his arm. I know. And his cast just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> Super realistic. And then he kind of shakes it off like, yeah. doesn't Daddy, even hurt. Daddy's got to go to work. <laughs> Daddy's got to take the pins out of his arm. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet. It's but good. Now I really oh. want to watch that movie because of Been that. Alive. There's a ton of just cheesy oh, one-liners. It's, it's full of one-liners. Yeah, it's great. It's entertaining. It really is. And yeah. especially if you like cars. Come on. Hey, oh. we've got a one-liner for you for today's show. What? Jimmer Mania hits the NBA D-League, Matt. Really? He's in the D-League. He scored 37 points last night in his NBA D-League debut. Holy cow. Guess who was in attendance? Uh, his None wife. other than Floyd Money Mayweather. Are you kidding? So random. That is cool. He's... They had a conversation wow. on the floor. Yeah. But does that not just improve, I'm assuming, his stock? Who knows? That's the topic today. What oh, that's is good. in the future? Good topic. For Jim or for Dead. Good topic, boys. Yes. Anything else going on in the show? Kyle Collinsworth in Studio B. Mm. Triple double. Triple double. They had to go deep in the video to find it. Shaq loves Kyle Collinsworth. Is it going to be Viva Las Vegas for BYU football? Telling comments from the Mountain West Commissioner yesterday yeah, would suggest he says that. that. I'd rather go to Hawaii, personally. So if they're making a list, will you put my name on the Hawaii list? Yeah, you and the five other people that don't live in normal reality. <laughs> you mean the delusionals? <laughs> yes, that's us. What else? Anything else on the show? I want to watch my kid open his presents on Christmas morning, man. Oh, it's going to be so great. You know what? Jet's going to be quite boring, though. I know, but Jax will be hilarious as a four-year-old. Yeah, he'll love it. I don't it. want to watch from Hawaii through Skype for that. Wait till you see what I got him. Oh, did you get him something? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I hope he likes nunchucks. Okay. 
Okay. They're incredible. <laughs> Just as long as they have the spiky things on the Oh, end. yeah, for sure. You don't buy them That's without the spiky That's the technical term, things. the spiky things. The spiky things. <laughs> Take your eye out. Hey, guys, okay, have a great show. Man, you, it's going to okay, be a good bye. one. Happy holidays. We'll talk again tomorrow, though. Okay. It's December. December. <laughs> December. See you. Bye. Um, cool stuff. That is that – is, uh, he's already excited. There's nothing better than being a father or a mother and you get to watch your cute little pumpkin just tear through their presence. Oh, And then you get to spend the rest of the morning taking them out of their boxes and they're tied and like glued and stuck to their boxes. And then you got to battery them up mm, and problem solve. You feel like you're in IT department. Wait, taking the kids out of the boxes? No. Oh. These toys come like hermetically sealed into, you know, their little containers. I've lost two fingers just trying to get one toy out of a box before. Okay. I wanted to ask you about those, but I never felt comfortable. Yeah. So. They're, um, it's embarrassing. But my kid loved his Power Ranger. <laughs> so... Um, that, I mean, that is the hardest part of parenting on Christmas. Then you feel like you're the IT department because when you have – I have six kids. So I had every child asking me questions. And like literally I had to have a number system. Take a number. Daddy will be available for you in a few minutes. Plus I'm – I don't know if you know this, but I'm not great at IT. I mean I'm I'm pretty good. I just turn it off and on again. Just turn it off and on. It will reboot. Anyway, great stuff. Hey, uh, I wanted to tell you this story. It's just it just never ends. Honestly, people never they just they just keep surprising me. Uh, a food sculptor in the UK spent five days painstakingly crafting the traditional Christmas scene entirely out of cheese. You said it. If you're going to have a nativity scene, wouldn't you rather have it made out of cheese? Mmm. Joseph and Mary and the crib and the shepherds and a sheep and a cow and a donkey and the baby Jesus all carved from cheese with three wise men bearing gifts. Mmm. The figures stand inside a cheese stable measuring 40 centimeters by 15 centimeters. The whole scene is illuminated and gives off a bright yellow glow telling us it's Jack Cheddar. <laughs> I don't know. The cracking effort uh, was made by a food artist, Prudence State, who softened 40 kilograms of cheese in a special food processor to shape the meticulously sculpted model. She used a cocktail stick and a magnifying glass to create the face of Jesus, who even has his own shaved cheese straw. Wow. She spared no expense. After carving the figures and their faces, she stored them in a fridge to firm them up for display. The model was commissioned by cheesemakers Pilgrim's Choice, who have yet to decide where to display it. Can I just suggest maybe a little log of, you know, sausage? Maybe a meat stick next to it? Ah, nothing better than that. What are those... In every store, Hickory Farms. Mm. If anybody is looking to give this Christmas season, give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'll let you know our address. You can send us a beef stick from Hickory Farms.
They are not advertisers of the show, by the way. But you have the chocolate, right? So they'd be sent to my house. Huh? Are you talking? You're not supposed to talk on my show. Oh, sorry. Go, you know, go get your show. Go, you can just do that on your show. Hey, I gotta. We gotta have a special shout out to our hero of the day, Rosa Parks Day. Today is Rosa Parks Day. In 1955, after a long day of work, Rosa Parks boarded a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. She took her seat in the colored section, but as she rode the Cleveland Avenue bus home, the bus began to fill up. The Montgomery City Ordinance allowed bus drivers to assign seating. However, it did not permit them to demand a passenger give up their seat. Despite this, the bus drivers had customarily required black passengers to give up their seats to white passengers when the bus became full. When Rosa Parks was asked to give up her seat, she refused. She was arrested, and what followed is civil rights history. She was found guilty on December 5, 1955, of violating the city ordinance and fined $10 plus a court fee. And that's when African-American leaders, including E.D. Nixon and Martin Luther King Jr., organized the Montgomery bus boycott for the day of Rosa Parks' trial, uh, which changed history. So she is the hero of the day, Rosa Parks. Honestly, can you imagine how terrifying that would be? Take on the establishment, be on a bus full of people that were mad at you. Thank heavens for Rosa Parks. That's it, folks. That's the show. And all of us can be heroes just by standing up for what you believe in and uh, and loving and, and taking care of people that uh, need to be taken care of. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Stick with us, folks. Until tomorrow, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>